What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. It is Thursday, November 30th. We're a day late. We're a day late for a good reason. We'll tell you what that is here in a minute. Uh, Ryan Chapman sits uh, in Moore. I'm sitting in Tulsa. Randall Sweet, he's going to jump in from uh, OKC. In the third segment, we're going to talk a lot of recruiting. Oh, we got some recruiting to talk about this week. I'm just telling you, when you say this week, this week, Ryan went, for me, <laughs> went way too fast. It literally is like it almost didn't happen. I mean, we're it's Thursday right now, and it feels like Sunday or last Friday when Oklahoma played their season finale was just like a like an hour ago. Um, so here we go. We'll, we'll try to recap it all for you really fast. Oh, you played the season finale on Friday. Uh, rumors had started forming about Jeff Lebby leaving um, earlier than that. He actually got asked about it on Friday night after the game and uh, because he had interviewed earlier in the week. I don't know if he interviewed on Wednesday or Thanksgiving Thursday, but he interviewed at Mississippi State and uh, came back and coached the Sooners. He was hired by uh, Mississippi State on Sunday. We found out that he interviewed for the job last week, uh, Thanksgiving week, like I said. Then, like, Monday was fairly quiet. Tuesday, we started getting word, maybe I should say Ross got word, that uh, Oklahoma's new offensive coordinator could literally happen at any minute and that uh, it would be Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley to be promoted. We got that word about 5 o'clock, a little before 5 o'clock on, jeez, um, whatever day that was. <laughs> I think that was Tuesday. Tuesday, yes, night, thank then you. Sooner Scoop had the report, the official, or yeah, uh, not the official word, their official report. Right. We were working on some on some stuff to get a story ready. Uh, you know, um, Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley are going to be promoted, and then about a half hour later, George Stoya's report hits, and here we are. So that was fast, Ryan. I mean, it happened so fast. Uh, so let's go linearly if we can, Ryan, for the folks. Um, I tried to sum it up in a few sentences. I think I did a pretty lousy job, but rather than drop <laughs> one emergency pod after another, I thought about calling you guys on Sunday. I thought about calling you guys on Monday and saying, let's do a <laughs> podcast. Our audience isn't probably used to that. Not that they wouldn't consume it, but they look for us on Wednesdays. And so here we are on Thursday and we're behind because we, my dog had surgery yesterday. He's fine. He's running around the house like normal. But uh, yeah, yesterday was uh, yesterday was a no pod day. Right? Well, so uh, it, help me sum it up. Go back to uh, last week and help me sum it all up. Well, you also had a twofer. Another reason why we weren't able to fit the pod is because when we were normally potting after your dog underwent surgery, which shout out to the pups for all being good. You talked to Mason Fine, had a really great story, which we'll dive into uh, about Seth Luttrell and what Oklahoma is getting. Um, so stay tuned for that. We'll, we'll be able to break all that down. But yeah, I mean... Um, it was one of those things that I wrote the column on Monday. I think it was Monday. Having a game on Friday, we are such creatures of habit. Like our brains are not that complicated. We cannot yeah. unravel the fact that we're our week <laughs> screwed up. But I basically wrote the column of like, hey, Jeff Levy getting a head coaching job was always the plan. It just probably happened a year, maybe two years early. And when you look at the history, and this is a, a dead horse by now, that but the history of since Bob Stoops arrived, a defensive-minded head coach, if you're the OC at Oklahoma, you get a head coaching job. That's how this, unless you're just awful, and even the two that got removed, the co-OCs, they're both head coaches, right? Uh, 
Josh Heupel is headed up Tennessee, which, oh, by the way, Oklahoma will open their SEC slate at home against Josh Heupel's Tennessee. That was thrown into the mix, though, uh, before they – this is not reported anywhere. I'm guessing that they're going to close the season at Missouri because it's the only thing that makes sense on rivalry week. The week before that, they'll host Alabama, so not bad. Um, That all happened. But, yeah, I think for Jeff Levy, when you look at – you were offered a head coaching job in the SEC, and it doesn't matter if it's a tough head coaching job in the SEC – It's a head coaching job in the SEC at a spot that's in a state that you coached in for two years at Ole Miss. So you kind of know the lay of the land in the SEC and and in the state of Mississippi. It's an athletic director in Zach Selman that you have a great relationship with. You know him from your days at Oklahoma. If you're going to take a shot on a a head coaching job for Jeff Levy, I totally get it. This makes all the sense in the world, even if he didn't get to use that year next year with Jackson Arnold as a first-year uh, starter. So that, that would have been maybe the only thing is if Jeff Levy really wanted that. But I, I think that Jackson Arnold probably gets it. Jeff Levy gets it. That like these things don't come along often. You just got to take it and run. And so that makes all the sense in the world. And uh, this is something that we had talked about even when um, we did our post game pod on Friday, right? That if Jeff Levy went, Oklahoma has an apparatus set up where they have a pipeline so they can have that continuity, have all of that. And in the end, that's exactly what happened. Seth Luttrell came from the back bench, from the 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 role of analyst. He's going to step on in. He confirmed in the official release he's going to be the guy that call plays. Joe John Finley, a co-offensive coordinator. That's one that I had wondered. You'd always heard that Jeff Levy and Joe John are really, really tight, have a great relationship. I just always wondered when Jeff takes his head coaching job, if he brings Joe John to be the OC, but mm-hmm. Joe John wanted to stay at Oklahoma and you saw that in his statement. And so that, that's how you get to where you are now with Seth Luttrell, Joe John co-OCs. Um, this is a really big hire. I've seen some people label this as Brent Venables taking a risk. I think if you spend like 10 seconds going through, what are the stops that Seth Luttrell was at? The year before, what were they ranked in total offense, S&P, whatever you want to look at, Okay, then the first year he's there, they got a lot better. And if he stayed two years, they were in like the top 15. I actually don't think this is like a huge gamble at all. I, I think that of it's a very known quantity, actually, that, that Seth Luttrell knows him some offense and he'll be able to get this thing up and running. Not that it wasn't up and running under Jeff Levy. It was a lucrative offense under Jeff Levy. Yeah. Um, first things first. Seth Luttrell's not going to improve the offensive ranking of Oklahoma from whatever they are, third or fourth in the country right. this year, right? I mean, how, how much higher do you want to go? Everybody wants to be number one, of course. I guess that's possible. But even so, if you improve it that much, you're only improving it like three spots because they they were really good this year. Uh, I, here's the deal, folks. I don't know how long this – you know how when you click on a podcast or a YouTube video, it's got the little numbers at the bottom that shows you how long it is? We have no idea how long this podcast is going to run, so we could be here a while, strap in, because we got a lot to talk about. First of all, Zach Selman, is he going to go to OU? This is his first coach to hire. Is he going to go to OU every time he needs to hire a coach? Well, it <laughs> – Probably not. Probably not. I think this is a pretty unique situation, especially because um, – some of the initial rumors and stuff that you heard, you saw, like it it doesn't look like that maybe Levy was the top name on the list. But in the era of college football, like here's the question I would have. If Oklahoma State had not gotten to overtime and overcome BYU and Oklahoma is preparing to play Texas this week, yep. 
would Mississippi State have waited? The portal window opens on Monday, right? December 4th. You already have guys that from your own roster that can hit the portal. Once a coach leaves, the portal window thing kind of goes out the door, like all of that. I, I'm just really curious, like, and you'll never know this, if Zach Selman wanted Jeff Levy so bad that he would have waited until the moments after the Big 12 championship game, however that went, or if he would have moved on to another name on the list uh, just to get a guy in to start stabilizing your roster. Th- that's what I'd really like to know. It's a good question. Un- unanswered a question. questions. My, my suspicion is he would have eventually done done what he did, which is settle on Jeff Levy, like you said, not his first choice necessarily. Uh, but a good choice. I think everybody's happy for Lebby. I think everybody in the Switzer Center is is glad that he got that head coaching job. And like you said, you're coaching in the SEC. You're a head coach in the SEC. You grab that thing, okay? So he's he's make he's going from making 1.9 at Oklahoma to four 4.5 at Mississippi State. Um, so Zach, uh, yeah, Zach probably wouldn't have waited very long. But I think there would have been a, a gentleman's agreement in place. That this is how these things usually work. A gentleman's agreement, yeah, let me coach this Big 12 championship game, and then I'll come be your head coach. And it, it might have even leaked out. It might have gotten announced. So I, I do think that um, – how do you think Jeff Levy's going to do as a head coach? We talked, Ryan, in the past about Jeff as an offensive coordinator, Jeff as a decision maker, Jeff as a son-in-law right? Needing a little oversight in his life, needing somebody to tell him, no, 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 don't do that. How do you think he's going to do as a head coach? It It's tough, Hoove, because like people are going to hate this answer. Head coaching is one of the hardest things. There are so many different challenges. You saw Brent Venables is as prepared as anyone has ever been, maybe, yep. to, to take over with his years under Snyder, years under Stoops, years under Dabo. And even he came into the spring and fall and was like, yeah, there's a, just a bunch of stuff I didn't know about head coaching. And so you see all the time, like Dabo went from a wide receiver coach to one of the best CEOs you've got. You see great coordinators all the time falling their face. I, I have no idea, frankly, but I think that Jeff Levy is an engaging guy with the recruits. He's a good recruiter. He obviously has a good understanding of, of how you organize NIL to try and get uh, bodies on the roster, but Mississippi State's just stuff, such a tough job. The the like the f- guys that have success at Mississippi State take the first boat out of town, basically it's su- as soon as possible. Like ask Dan Mullen what he thinks about the Mississippi State job. The second he had any success, he's like, any job that'll take me, please, 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 please. Uh, on top of that, I just he's still developing as a coordinator. He may be great at at the CEO stuff, but. The biggest problem I had was not like the jet sweep, stuff like that. It's just the Oklahoma offensive operation when it wasn't going well, it just seemed like total chaos at all times on the sideline. Jeff Lay was in the booth. I, I don't know how that's going to translate to him coming down on the field. If they want to go boom, 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 super fast on top of him doing everything else. So I, I think that that'll have a lot to do with if he's calling the offensive plays, if he's calling the offensive plays, is he suddenly going to have an understanding of this is what Brett Mendels was talking about. As I watch my defense roll out there after 90 seconds and their gas, stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't know. I think he'll get better bodies than, than probably what Arnett was able to get out there. I, I just think that Mississippi state's a really, really tough job and I don't know how this thing's going to go. He, um, my advice to, to Levy would be to hire an offensive coordinator to call your place so you can be the CEO and then uh, involve yourself in the uh, offensive game plan. 
a lot if you have to and call plays if you have to, but don't just walk out there and say, I can do both. I can do both. I'm Jeff Levy. I can do both. I've seen too many coaches, too many head coaches who struggle, who are fantastic play callers who struggle as head coaches and things get behind them. And pretty soon their eyes are, are forward and they're looking at the next play instead of the big picture. We've seen that a lot. Um, speaking of eyes front, that's what we do here at All Sooners. We, we can't look in the rearview mirror constantly or we'll drive right off that bridge, right? Isn't that the... You've listened, you've listened to a lot of Patty Gasso press conferences, a ton of Patty Gasso press conferences. <laughs> Pretty sure they uh, wore that out at the Big 12 Media Days this year, this summer too. Eyes front, no rearview mirror. Um, so let's talk Seth Luttrell. Let's actually start with Joe John Finley. You raised an interesting point. Why didn't he go with uh, Jeff Levy to Mississippi State? He's been in the SEC. He's been at two different schools, three different schools at the SEC, right? So he's been with um, he's been with some programs that know how to win, big time programs, so on and so forth. My question is, what did Oklahoma do to keep him? Say, we're Oklahoma. We can pay more. You can stay here and coach an All-American high school, All-American tight end. Uh, Devon Mitchell's coming in, right? Um, Pay him a little bit more. Give him one of those titles, right? Co-offensive coordinator, um, assistant head coach for the offense, whatever. I just think think he's a hell of a coach. I've known him since, you know, he was a freshman in 2004. That was my first year on the beat. And like Brent said in the press release yesterday, uh, I remember recruiting him or meeting him as a high school quarterback out of Arlington High School. His dad was a head coach. He's always wanted to be a head coach. He's been on that track. So I I just think uh, I think he's a heck of a head coach. I didn't I don't think he had a great year in terms of his players developing, but not necessarily all that is on him. Let's let's be honest. Uh, players, players at some point got to play. Um, he probably could have done a better job utilizing guys in certain situations, but I think Joe John is a fantastic coach, a football coach, and he's going to contribute a lot to the offensive game plan. Yeah. I think Joe John's issues this year just date back to portal. Like if, if they had gotten a more impactful second guy out of the portal, then I don't think yep. anyone's probably talked about it. Cause just go like as much as you want to say, well, Austin Sogner didn't come in and do what he needed to do. Okay. Well then what do you, are you going to, what do you value more? The Braden Willis emergence or the Austin Stogner was kind of the same guy that it was at South Carolina. We saw that just a year ago. Also, he's got a track record at other spots for George. I, I think like the first thing to start with is for him and DeMarco both, it's going to take a huge offer to leave their alma mater that they by all accounts, really enjoy working at, broke their back to get back to Oklahoma, get back to Norman. So I think that's the first thing. Secondly is um, it sounds like, based off some of the reporting and stuff, that uh, that offensive staff's really close, and it sounds like they really like working with one another, that whole unit. And I think that's huge. And then thirdly, like all Brent had to do is sit down and go, Hey, do you remember Kevin Sumlin? What role did he get hired at Houston? Oh, he was just the wide receivers coach, co-OC. Hey, Jay Norvell was the wide receivers coach, co-OC. He's now at Colorado State, right? Like, you don't have to even call plays at Oklahoma if you're on that offensive staff to get a head coaching job. If things go poorly in Starkville, which, again, I think that that's not like a levy thing. That's a very tough job in the SEC that's about to do away with divisions, which means it's even tougher. Um 
you're you might be having to reset the clock and there might not be a spot open at Oklahoma in an on-field role. You, you know what I mean? If, if that syncs up and all that. And so I, I think it's one of those things of financially, they're going to take care of him. It's his alma mater. And if that's what you really want, you've got the belief in the building. Venables believes in you. The rest of your offensive coaches, your coworkers believe in you. I, it just seems like a, a tough ask to, to leave all of that to go off on a new adventure that is not a guarantee and doesn't have the same kind of stability with a, a really tough SEC job. And we know uh, the churn in the SEC with head coaches is aggressive compared to even the other conferences. Yeah, you said the right word there, uh, stability. Um, he's got that at Oklahoma. You wouldn't necessarily have that at Mississippi State or a lot of schools in the Southeastern Conference. Um, I keep hearing fans, you know, YouTube commenters, Facebook commenters, and so on and so forth, Twitter commenters, so on. Why didn't they do anything? Why didn't they give it to DeMarco Murray? Why is DeMarco Murray not calling plays? Listen, listen, I'm going to say this as simply as I can. DeMarco Murray, everybody uh, in Sooner Nation, I'm sure, loves the guy. He is one of the all-time best running backs that's ever played at the school. He was an all-star. He went to the NFL. He became an all-star in the NFL, led the league in rushing. We know his resume. He has been a coach for four years. He has been a coach for four years. He's still learning. His running backs, as we saw this year, are still learning how to be coached by DeMarco Murray. Offensive coordinator, play caller, he's not ready for that. He might be in three or four or five years, you never know, um, but he's just... He's still figuring out how to be a coach, what to do every day. You know what I mean? So same with Bill Biedenboe. Bill's been a coach for a long time. Bill's been an offensive line coach for a long time. He probably, I would think, would be fine at calling plays, but there's no evidence to suggest that he's got, that he wants this huge, I got a couple plays now. I'm on the fast track. I got to leave here. He has always been happy and content being Co-offensive coordinator, run game coordinator, offensive line coach. That's his title. That's what he that's his spot. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. He knows Bill Beatenbow knows that he can coach the hell out of a lot of guys and make, you know, several hundred thousand a year, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand a year, whatever it is, and be a position coach. And you don't have to put up with the crap that you do if you're uh, an offensive coordinator making 1.2, 1.5, whatever. There's a, there's a huge difference there in lifestyle change, quality of life, all that kind of stuff, pressure that goes on you when you're the offensive coordinator. And I think right now, I think Bill Biedenboe is like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. So then it comes down to Emmett Jones. What, what do we know about Emmett Jones's track in terms of I want to be an offensive coordinator? I don't know. I don't. We, we haven't really gotten to know him very well. Uh, we got to interview him, I think, once in the spring and once in the, in the fall. For before practice or while practice was going on. So um, don't know as much about him and his ambitions. I'm sure everybody at some point in their life wants to be a head coach or a coordinator or a play caller or something like that. But uh, again, we have limited exposure to him. So we can't really, I can't, I can't really sit here and say, well, I think Emmett Jones this, but those other two guys, I, I think, feel like I have a feel on those guys. Yeah. And Emmett Jones, I mean, if you go back, was a, a high school head coach and he took over as the interim head coach at Kansas in that really weird spring where Les Miles was dismissed and before Lane oh, Weibel came in. That. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so, but that's going through spring ball, waiting for a, a new coach to come in. Right. Emmett is the least tenured guy on this coaching staff, right? Like everybody else in the on field role was retained from year one under Venables. Emmett's the 
new guy. You're just about to enter year two. Um, it, it would have been a huge volume of what they think of him. And I think they really love him. It, it's just a, you've got guys that are really familiar. And and again, you go back to like Bill Beanbow has talked about that. Uh, he tells us it feels like every off season. He's like, yeah, I want to buy a house of tech. So I'm retire here. I'm happy. We're good. Everything's good. Like I, I'll be here as long as they'll have me. That, that, that's like, like <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's the vibe I get from B. He's going to watch SVU on Netflix. That, that's what uh, he, he's going to make all that happen. Um, but like you talk about the guys that, just the track that Seth Luttrell had been on. He's worked with Kevin Wilson. We all know what Kevin Wilson did offensively. He's worked with Sonny Dykes. Sonny Dykes is a great offensive mind. He's worked under Mike Leach. We know what Mike Leach is as an offensive mind. He's worked under Larry Fedora. Larry Fedora has never been questioned for the offensive guy that he is. These are all the people that Seth Luttrell has worked under. And then now I think a really important thing to Brent Venables. Seth Luttrell's also taken all that. Then he went to Denton and took that North Texas job, and he headed up his own program. He knew what it was like. What's the day-to-day as far as me as a play caller my offense versus I've got a young guy in Graham Harrell who's a rising star. How do I marry this and that? And now Seth Luttrell is going to understand Britt Venables' pain when yep. there's a really, really long drive and the defense can't get off the field. Seth Luttrell is going to be looking at, he's going to be looking at his play sheet. But he's also going to be looking down and going, if I were at North Texas, I would have really wanted my offense to hold onto the ball for three minutes to really help that defense out. Whether it's just get some oxygen adjustments, whatever. Luttrell's going to know that he, he's a much more experienced hand than even Joe John DeMarco. Um, and I think that Brent Venables is really, really going to like doing that. Cause by all accounts, it sounds like Brent Venables has the exact same setup that Bob Stoops had where Bob Stoops is like, you do the offense, I'll do the defense. And the one exception he had was, what, 2014? And in the end, he ended up having to clear house and hit the reset button. And then he just let Lincoln Riley do what he wanted outside of being like, hey, you have to run the football. Like That's the thing we have to do here. Uh, but other than that, that, that's going on. And now I think that Brent Venables is going to be very, very confident and calm. I think he was with Jeff Levy, but I think he'll be really comfortable with Seth Luttrell saying, you'd be the CEO of the offense. I'm going to go do the defensive stuff over here. And that's why he brought in Matt Wells and Seth Luttrell yep. as analysts because they're guys that have been head coaches and understand the holistic, like, that. this is the stuff you have to think about when you're a head coach that you don't have to when you're just a play caller. Yeah, and, and speaking of Matt Wells, speaking of Seth Luttrell, they're both Oklahoma guys. One played at OU, one uh, is from the state of Oklahoma as well. So um, they're both from the state, I should say. Um Another thing I think that was in uh, Seth's favor is the fact that he's got a, a career, a past, a history with Bill Biedenboe, and they've had good chemistry. I mean, I imagine when Brent was like, hey, uh, let's go around the table. What do you guys think of uh, these candidates? Uh, let's start with uh, Seth Luttrell. Bill, what do you got? And Bill probably would be like, oh, my gosh, you can't, you can't get a better hire than this, blah, 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 blah. They they uh, they work together. They are it's it's pretty impressive um, their ability. And think about think about Seth Luttrell as the quarterbacks coach and the offensive coordinator, and he's got Bill Biedenboe, um, somebody he's worked with a lot in the past as his uh, offensive line coach, run game coordinator, whatever you want to call it. I think that's going to work extremely well. Yeah, and it, it's just going to be a. Um... This is a huge year, right, for a bunch of different reasons, new starting quarterback. But right, wrong, or otherwise, if Oklahoma or Texas, either one of them, they go into the SEC, one of them makes it to Atlanta, the it's going to be like three years of a recruiting parade for that team that's like, look, 
the big bad SEC. We walked in, we threw down, and we're one of the top two teams in this conference already. Come on board. What an exciting time. The flip side of that is if one of these teams goes seven and five or heaven forbid six and six, immediately blood in the water. Everyone in that conference is like, look, they were in the soft big 12. They talked a big game. They could, and right, wrong, or otherwise, I think this first year that perception is going to stick on both these programs for a couple of years until they can have a firm body of work until everyone sees it. And so do you want to roll the dice on? Like, I think the world of some of the guys out there, like Sean Lewis, who just got the San Diego state job, but do you want to roll the dice on? Okay. Does he want to retain all these staff members that have all these relationships with the players? If not, you're having to get a whole new staff together that might risk the relationships with the guys on the roster. So you might see more portal exits than maybe you would have expected. And all of that's happening when you're entering a new conference that's kind of uncharted waters. Brent Venables talked about this uh, when he came in. Uh, he talked about this in the summer as well. When he came into Clemson, it was the learning curve of the roster, how Dabo wanted to do things. But also, it takes you a couple years to know the ACC like the back of your hand and to know some of the rosters and some of the schemes and all that stuff. Oklahoma is going to be fighting a new battle every single week next year in the SEC because it's just new teams they haven't prepared for, haven't played in quite a long time, all that stuff. So do you really want to do all of that change at once on top of breaking in Jackson Arnold? Or do you want to say we can have one change, which is a guy that's been around the program for at least a year, stepping in, a guy that knows all the ropes in Oklahoma, he gets it, he lived it, and that's the guy that can work with Jackson Arnold, someone that Jackson Arnold's already familiar with. I think um, what you said about uh, this being a, a risk a little bit, uh, bringing in Seth Luttrell might be a bit of a risk, just because people he doesn't have that big sexy name. He's not Joe Brady, right? He doesn't have that, uh, oh, well, I d- I've done this in the past and I've done – if you look at his, his, um, his resume, he's actually got some really, really impressive um, accomplishments as an offensive coordinator. Five years as an OC under uh, Mike Stoops, Kevin Wilson – and then uh, Larry Fedora. So five years there, and then he went to be a head coach for seven years. The fact that he was a head coach for seven years in this area, is from this area, has coached in this area, knows the area. He was, he was in Texas, Texas Tech, right, as well. His familiarity with the state of Oklahoma, the state of Texas, uh, being a head coach, if Brent needs to take uh, a day off, if Brent needs to step back for any reason, if Brent misses a day, right? I mean, you've got a, a guy who's been a head coach on staff and not just one, but like you said, Matt Wells too, he's still going to be an analyst unless he gets another job somewhere. There's room, rumors and reports that he could be getting a job somewhere or is at least a candidate to get a job. Um, I'll give you a couple of quick numbers, Ryan. I'm kind of rambling here, but I thought I'd go through these numbers. Um, no spam risk. I don't need to answer that phone call right now. <laughs> I got hit with when he was at North jokes. Carolina. The Tar Heels went from 81st in the nation in rushing to 18th in rushing. 18th in the nation in rushing, North Carolina. Uh, when he was at Indiana, I think this was 2013, they were his last year there under Kevin Wilson. They were 30th in the nation in rushing. Indiana. Indiana is terrible at like everything, aren't they, in football? Uh, can't run, can't pass, can't play defense. He had him up to 30th in the country in rushing. Um I think that's a snapshot into what he believes, into what Seth Luttrell believes is important, and that's running the football. Yeah, and and you look at it too. It's it's a it's a weird combination of a lot of things, right? Because on one hand, you would say, what position does Seth Luttrell play? 
He was a fullback. This man is going to want to ground and pound and all of that. And then you go, well, who did he get his education from in offense? Mike Leach. Wait a minute. How do you marry those two things? But that's what a lot of the conversation with what Jeff Levy was. Remember remember way back when those first spring press conferences when Cale Gundy was still on staff and he talked about Jeff Levy and his background of being an offensive lineman means that he understands the run game in a different way. That's not something he had to learn. He understands how the pass can play off the run. Uh, Seth Luttrell's got that education totally as far as he knows what his job was as a fullback. He knows how important that is. He knows Mike Leach, and that's a, like one absolute total extreme, right? And and what that thing looks like, and then working with Bill Beanbow. Bill Beanbow's worked under a ton of great offensive minds. He sees how that run game can take over all that stuff. It should be able to be a Seth Luttrell's going to have his spin on, like he said in the release, and and all of that, and they should be able to bring that together. But I, I do want to ask you this too: you did get to speak to Mason Fine. You did get to learn firsthand what that relationship was like, how Seth Luttrell builds that relationship with the starting quarterback. What kind of guy is Jack Snowden about to get in a QB coach? Because uh, like I said, you wrote the story. It's a great work on allsooners.com, peeling the curtain back of, of what that relationship's like between Luttrell and and Fine, who was a great, more than fine uh, quarterback for Seth Luttrell at North Texas. Yeah, so, uh, Mason, was uh, who's a, a starter right now in the Canadian Football League, right? He's pretty good. Um, set, uh, set all the records, set numerous conference USA records, set all the uh, North Texas passing records. Um, when Seth was literally the only guy in the country, in the country, who wanted to offer him a, a scholarship at an FBS school. Uh, all he did was pass for like 13,000 yards and 170 touchdowns in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, the kid could sling it. Seth said when he met him, he was like, "Like, how tall are you? I'm five ten. How how tall are you really? I'm I'm coach. I'm five ten. He, he said he met him, and okay, so I believed him. He was five ten. Their relationship, being Seth coming in as his first head coaching job, and looking at what he had, there were guys jumping, transferring out, and guys coming in and. He didn't know what he had. He knew he needed a quarterback to have a long-term, uh, long-term job there at, at North Texas. And, you know, he gets a call from uh, a friend of his, Matt Hennessy, former coach at Muskogee, former coach at Locust Grove. Um, he's now at Paul Huska. Um, Matt Hennessy said, hey, if you're seriously, I know he's short, but if you're looking for a quarterback, you're going to want to look at this guy. He sends Graham Harrell to, uh, to Locust Grove. And Graham is like, I'm a believer. I, I totally believe in this kid. Comes back, they meet. It was the perfect union at the perfect time for Mason, who needed a scholarship offer, and Seth, who needed a quarterback. And what did they do? They put their heads together, got some offensive coordinators in there. Graham Harrell was one of them. Set every record in the in the school book, right? So what is, what is uh, what does Mason have to say about about um, Seth? He says he's organized, he's tough, he's demanding. Um, what kind of offense? You know, that's that's a quality a, a lot of coaches are going to have. What kind of offense? Here's the best part for Oklahoma. Whatever Oklahoma's players are good at, Seth Luttrell is going to try to emphasize that. If they're if they got a bunch of tall wide receivers who are great at catching deep balls, guess what? They're probably going to throw a lot of deep balls, right? That's something that this year I don't think Jeff Levy, as an offensive coordinator, 
I don't think he really exploited the advantages he had all the time. Um, you know, especially we've talked about it a million times with the jet sweep stuff and the sideline to sideline stuff. Dude, you've got a six four, six five receiver, forty yards down the field, wide open. Get him the football. And I don't think Jeff was. I think he tried to keep it like play it close to the vest and, and keep keep it honest and keep it even. I think Seth is going to say if we've got an advantage here, let's use that advantage. Um, a couple of uh, I, I talked about the num- the rushing numbers. I want to talk about just scoring uh, that he the impact that he's had just scoring the football. And uh, this was in the story that, that we published yesterday. Um, when he was at Arizona, before when he was, before he was promoted offensive coordinator at Arizona, they were scoring 28 points a game. Um, he went to the year that he was offensive coordinator in 2011, they were scoring 31. So in one year, he improved at three points per game. Then in uh, 2011, Indiana was averaging 21 points a game. His first year as offensive coordinator, they went to 31. So that went up by 10 points. And then the next year they went up 38. You made a reference to how much better they do under Seth as offensive coordinator in his second year. Uh, these numbers at uh, North Carolina, they were averaging 33. This is Larry Fedora's offense, right? And they, he brings on Seth. They were averaging 33, 32.7. They went to uh, 33.2. So half a point in 2014. Then in 2015, they improved by more than a touchdown to 40, almost 41 points a game in 2015, number nine in the nation. The dude can score. The dude wants to run the football. Uh, if you look at his passing numbers, he, you know, again, Mason Fine, he's the head coach, and Mason Fine is his uh, quarterback. They threw the football all over the place, set every record there was. So, um, Whatever his offense is going to do, and Mason told me this, if your quarterback is good at running the football, he's going to run the quarterback in the quarterback run game. If your quarterback's more of a pocket passer, guess what? He's not. He's going to emphasize what the guys can do and stay away from what they can't do. And you may not have the huge improvements that we're talking about when you when you set all out this next year. Why? This is the most talented offense Seth the Treble have ever coached. Yeah, ever. Sure. Like when, when you look at, what Jackson Arnold, the caliber of quarterback, like Mason Fine was incredible, but he he wasn't a five-star Elite 11 winner, right? That's what Jackson Arnold is. Gavin Sawchuk just finished the season with four straight 100-yard performances. He looks every bit the guy that was advertised. We'll get into all this, but you get you talk about Jill Farouk comes back, pair Jill Farouk with Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, Andrew Anthony's coming off an injury. Everyone in that program raves about Jaquez Pedway, who didn't get a ton of opportunity because he was behind. Farouk and Stoops and Gavin Freeman and all those guys. The pieces are there for Seth Luttrell to have a more a more highly rated, like he has a more highly rated roster than I guarantee he had. Definitely at Arizona, definitely at Indiana, certainly at North Carolina. And, and so it may not be a, oh my gosh, look, Oklahoma went from fourth in total offense to fifth in total offense. But, but I think that the game management, I think Oklahoma fans are going to be a lot more comfortable with some of the stuff that happens Week in, week out. Is it going to be perfect? Does it mean they're going to go unbeaten? No. You got a, a redshirt freshman quarterback. He'll be a sophomore quarterback, but basically a guy that didn't play a ton his freshman year coming in. There's going to be that stuff, but I have to believe if it's a little rainy in Lawrence and his quarterback comes out and has a bad throw on the first throw of the game, he's not going to pocket his all big 12 first team quarterback to only throw the ball 12 times in a massive game on the road. Set the trails an experienced guy. He's been through the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs of a football season as a coordinator and a head coach. 
here's the deal now. He's going to, as the offensive coordinator, I was maybe about 20% surprised by this. Not surprised in, in like, I can't believe they're doing that, but just surprised that he's never done it before. He's going to be the quarterback's coach. He's going to coach OU quarterbacks. So what does that mean? Uh, Seth in his uh, assistant coaching career has basically only coached running backs and tight ends. So he's going to be the quarterback's coach. They need to replace Matt Holacek, who went with Lebby to, or is going to go to with Lebby to, uh, to Mississippi State. Um, Matt was a guy, I think, that was invaluable. You could say the same thing a little bit about Lebby. Lebby played offensive line. Well, what are you doing letting an offensive lineman coach your quarterbacks? Lebby figured it out pretty quick. Lebby was a pretty decent run, uh, quarterbacks coach. He coached running backs at Baylor, you know. I think that kind of thing is a little bit, Ryan, overblown, you know, that you can't have an offensive lineman or a former fullback coaching your quarterbacks because they don't know what they're doing. Coaches are smart, and he comes from a a football family. He's learned under, as you've said several times, some of the best that have ever done it in the history of the game, Mike, Mike Leach, right? I mean, he knows enough about the game of football and he knows what a quarterback, a good quarterback looks like, that he's going to be fine as a quarterback's coach. And like I said, they need to replace Holacek, who was uh, one of those guys who would get in and say, okay, let's work on your technique. Let's get your arm angle. Let's, let's look at your footwork. Let's look at these drills. Let's do those drills. They'll replace him with somebody who can do those things on the, on the day-to-day basis. And they've still got J.P. Lozman. J.P. Lozman was an NFL quarterback and has been on a coaching track, I guess, since he since his playing career ended. Um, he's on staff as a support guy. I don't know what his role can be in terms of prepping guys for spring practice or, you know, working with them one-on-one. I don't know exactly what his role is allowed to be by the NCAA rules, but um, I don't see any problem where. And you know what? Uh, Jay, Joe John Finley was a high school quarterback. He can help out, too. If you're that worried about Seth Luttrell not being a quarterback's coach, they've got some guys on staff who can help out with the quarterback coaching. And Matt Wells specializes in quarterbacks. If he doesn't get a big, yeah. if he doesn't get I a totally head coach, forgot about Matt, yeah, Wells, Matt Wells. Matt Wells specializes in quarterbacks. And it, Seth Luttrell's not coming in to fix Jackson Arnold's mechanics. Seth Luttrell's going right. to come in and be like, hey, this is how we want to attack the defense. This is yep. what we're seeing on tape. When this linebacker does this, we need to be watching out for this, this, and that, all that stuff. That's what Seth Luttrell's going to be doing. And Seth Luttrell um, was a part of the quarterback room this year. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, I, I just think that this isn't the 80s and 90s where you get these such raw passers out of high school and you have to really refine them. The quarterback pool that Oklahoma recruits in, all those guys have quarterback trainers that are doing all That's the right. mechanical stuff. And they're working with them when they go back home, all that stuff. That's the that's the pond that Oklahoma swims in. It's an ocean. It's the it's the biggest ocean that you can get. Uh, you're not having to do all that refining, this, that, and the other. Uh, you're you're teaching these guys. This is what college football is. This is what college defenses are doing. This is what uh, Josh Heupel is going to throw at you with his defense. This is what Nick Saban's going to throw. That's what the quarterback coach does now. Yep. Um- Okay, first of all, Matt Wells is going to be mad that I didn't even mention him. So <laughs> thank you for doing that. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's not going to give me a fist bump the next time I see him. I was like, hang on but, there. There's a big name that we're missing here. As far yes, as yes, yes, I tend to do that. I've gotten to this point in my life where I overlook the obvious, and Matt Wells is the obvious. Um, he's a guy that, and if you look at his resume, he's coached some 
really good quarterbacks, including one that uh, I believe is starting for the uh, Packers right now. Playing really well, too. Playing a lot better. Playing, playing really well. Um, and then second, I want to emphasize something else you said, too, about um, Seth being in the quarterback room. We had, if you go back to spring practice and you and you go back to, because he was hired in March, go back to spring practice and then look at the practices we had uh, access to in training camps, you know, August. When practice would start, they'd do the little running and the running through this, you know, the pads and drills and get warmed up and get your blood going. And then they would break up into individual groups and the players like the quarterbacks would go over here and the running backs would go over here and the wide receivers Seth was always with the quarterbacks. Every time the practice broke up into position, Seth would go stand arms crossed behind Jeff Lebby and listen to every word that he's saying and watch the quarterbacks. He'd watch each guy, uh, each little individual drill, you know. So it's not like he's, you know, woke up woke up on Tuesday and said, wait, you want me to coach what? Quarterbacks? Me? No, that's not happening. Trust me. Um Pretty important, you think, uh, going especially going into the SEC. I think you made reference to this earlier. Um, you've got a couple of top five classes, and you're trying to st- stack a third one. Uh, the future is in the Southeastern Conference. Pretty important to uh, maintain that staff intact, offensively especially, at this point. Yeah. I, one thing I'm really fascinated by, and I don't know when the first time we get to officially speak to Seth Luttrell, um, I really like to know, and I, I don't know if he'll answer it, but what are your head coaching aspirations still? Because you got a taste of it. You had a pretty decent long tenure at North Texas. You got a pretty raw deal with how, and I don't need to get into it, but the AD cans him and then leaves and he's out West Virginia. It, it was a very, very weird situation yeah. of how that ended. They made a bowl um, game and then the new president came in and said, I want a different coach. Yeah, it, it's so it, it the whole thing was bizarre. And so I, I'm really curious what his now that you've you've been in the churn that is the head coaching circle, stuff like that, is he like, I, I don't have an appetite to be a head coach, or is it yeah, I'd like to, but I really understand the value of being somewhere three or four years because if you went out and say you hit a home run, if you had gone with Sean Lewis, right? And then Sean Lewis uh, brings in his his uh, the offense that was so great at Kent State and the one that was pretty good at Colorado and then Dion demoted him and then suddenly the offense goes to into a dumpster. Great move by Dion, just <laughs> high foot SI Sports Person of the Year, whatever though. So go go read that, I guess. Uh, but uh, if he comes in and Jack Arnold sets the world on fire. Sean Lewis is suddenly going to be the hot name on the block. And then for Jack Arnold's junior year, you're maybe looking at another staff. And, and so um, I'm really, really fascinated with what Seth Luttrell, like in his mind, if he comes in and absolutely rocks it at this OC job, is he looking to get back into head coaching? Is he like, yeah, maybe in like four or five years, I'd like to head coach, but I'd like to just be a coordinator again for a little bit. That's one thing I don't know. I think that this staff, I don't think Brett Mendels would have done this if he didn't have a belief that this is going to be a staff that can stick together for at least a couple of years, that he's not immediately next offseason looking for a new OC again. Um, so if you're going to do that, then just, yeah, go on the flashy hire, go get a grub from Washington, go get Sean Lewis, go get whatever, and just be on that kind of churn. Um, I'm really interested to see the 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 pillar, the thing that everyone's chasing all that, right, is Alabama football. Nick Saban got a pretty comfortable thing. If you saw his coordinators manage to say for two or three years, there wasn't a lot of turnaround. I'd do it for one year and take another job. 
Um, Oklahoma has a long way to go to get there, but that doesn't mean that you can't, when you're setting up your shop behind the scenes, be like, I want to aspire to be that stuff like that. I'd have to believe that uh, this staff at least will be with them through the entire Jackson Arnold experience. At least that I would be shocked if, if uh, something's gone wrong. I think if that's not the case. Yeah. I think that would be the ideal scenario. Uh, Jackson's two years as a starter. Um, he would have the same quarterback coach, the same offensive coordinator, the same head coach. Same offensive line coach, running backs coach, wide receivers coach, on and on and on. Um, I think uh, I think the fact that if you look at the names we just mentioned, Bill Biedenboe, DeMarco Murray, um, Emmett Jones, uh, Joe John Finley as the tight ends coach and co-coordinator, and then Seth Luttrell as your quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, this looks like an all-star staff, right? You've got some of the best guys in the country recruiting, development, uh, past accomplishments, professional accomplishments. Um, these guys are suddenly, they're, they're looking really good as an offensive staff. Maybe I'm oversimplifying. Yeah. And it'll just, I, I literally like my only question and, and maybe I'm just, uh, I've always liked Seth Luttrell. I always like what he's done at North Texas. Literally. It's just uh, he hasn't been the primary play caller since what? 2014, 2015. I have to imagine that's just like riding a bike. That's literally the only thing. And that's why I'm so interested. Have we gotten any official word? Is he going to be calling plays? I have not seen this in the, what we assume will be the Alamo bowl, which we'll talk about later on. A hundred percent. He's going to be calling plays in the Alamo bowl or whatever bowl game they go to, whatever bowl game they go to. I, we lined it out. We'll talk about it, but uh, whatever bowl game it is, it doesn't count. So if Seth Luttrell has to knock any dust off, like I, I would not make big sweeping. This is what the offense. I think it's going to be probably a lot of let's not install a bunch of new crap. That's what the spring is for. Terminology is going to be the same. I'm going to have my own style of stuff. Uh, but I, I think actually the first play of the bowl game should be a jet sweep to Gavin Freeman in honor of their departed <laughs> French athlete. And if it's not that, what are you even doing, Oklahoma? Why? <laughs> Do you even like your former offensive coordinator? I think that should be the move. I'll take you to the 2005 Holiday Bowl where Kevin Wilson came in for Chuck Long and just blew, offensively speaking, they only scored 17 points, but they blew the doors off in terms of what they were going to do offensively. Here's what our offense is going to look like, Kevin Wilson said. Uh, and I was just like, holy crap, Kevin, that's what your offense is going to look like? And of course, then he took it to another level in 07 and 08. Um, and then, of course, Kale Gundy in the previous iteration of the Alamo Bowl. Remember his uh, what his offense looked like? Um, nobody expected that. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was a pretty good representation of what you can do in a bowl game when you put your mind to it. Both of those in terms of just changing things and you've got 15 practices or whatever, and you can work with these guys for basically a month. And OK, now let's go see what we can do kind of thing. Um, that's what I expect out of Oklahoma in the, uh, in the whatever bowl game we'll, uh, we'll be covering. And we'll talk about that next. We'll talk about bowl possibilities, college football playoff rankings, uh, new year six, possibly, possibly, right. Who's coming in, who's leaving, who's staying, who's going, all that good stuff's coming up next on the all Sooners podcast. Y'all know the drill for segment two. Uh, if you're on Twitter, follow us at all underscore Sooners. You can follow me at John E. Hoover. You can follow Ryan at underscore Ryan Chapman. Don't forget Ross. Ross had a fantastic basketball story this week. Great so shot. check that out 
all Sooners. Uh, follow him at Ross Lovelace on Twitter. And you can always follow Randall, who's been super busy, at Randall Sweet 5 for the latest recruiting news and more. Uh, the website is allsooners.com. As you know, we are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All free, All Sooners is. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. We don't have specials at the end of the year. We don't have like sign-up subscription specials. We don't have sales. We don't have deadlines for you to join. Just get on there and click. That's all you got to do. It's all free. And as you all know, this segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. How much of your retirement savings are you willing to lose? Is it all of it? Is it some of it? Or would you prefer not to lose any of it? Yeah, right. If you're nearing retirement or if you're already in retirement, the math and the science have proven that quite a, just a few bad market years, right? Just a few could wipe away the kind of retirement that you've dreamed of, but there is a way to safely grow your money and not have any market risk. You can even turn your savings into guaranteed lifetime income. Infinite Asset Advisors can help you plan for retirement. They can also show you how to become debt-free before you get there. They're experts in financial planning, retirement planning, even estate planning. You can visit the website infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn more or email them at team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or give them a phone call the old-fashioned way, 512-710-0130. All right, Ryan, segment two. Who's leaving? (laughs) Uh, my <laughs> well, brain. Let's jump into the transfer portal. My brain. Um, Sorry. There's two, there's two guys that are gone at this point, right? Marcus Hicks announced he was leaving um, previously. Mm-hmm. And DJ Graham announced last week that he would be leaving. Uh, DJ Graham, a requiem of, for DJ Graham. He was a really interesting two way player coming out of high school. Prospects are going to play wide receiver. Is he going to play DB? They talked him into DB, played DB for Alex Grinch a couple years. Uh, he was good. He was a starting corner cornerback at some point. He made that interception against Nebraska and became a superstar and sold a bunch of T-shirts. And then kind of fell off the depth chart a little bit. Was mostly inconsistent. I thought he was a good player with a lot of potential, but just couldn't reach that consistent level. Then he switched to wide receiver, and we never saw him again. Injuries. Injuries do that. He's been injured most of this year. And uh, I I don't know what kind of shot he would have got anyway, um, seeing all the talent they had at wide receiver, but you didn't even get to see it. And so uh, he talked about in his statement, it was a dream come true. And now he wants to see if he can play some football and chase a little bit more. So Mm -hmm. that's what you got going there. I've got the list of guys that cannot come back. And then we can sift through the ones that um, went through senior day that have another year. Let's do it. The belief is that Justin Harrington, he, he his eligibility is expired, but he's chasing down that hardship waiver, so we'll have to wait and see on that. But as we talked about before, guys that have played their last game at Owen Field, Rondell Bothroyd, Isaiah Coe, Jordan Kelly, Jonah Laulu, McCade Mattire, Phil Paea, Phil Paea, excuse me, Reggie Pearson, Walter Rouse, Caleb Schaefer, Austin Stogner, Drake Stoops, Marcus Stripling. So those are guys that if they wanted to come back, they have no more eligibility no more COVID years, none of that. Uh, so that's that. So now you're looking at there, there's some other names that walked on senior day, Hoove, that I think are going to have some decisions. Um, 
Marcus Major, that's a guy that could come back, but it just kind of feels like with all the injuries he's always had, I'd be kind of surprised if he does, especially with the numbers they've got in the running back room. It certainly feels like they've recruited that unit as if they expect that this is the last year for Marcus Major. Uh, Woody Washington's another guy that he could technically come back as well, but you talk about, again, the numbers they've brought in at corner. I just wonder. Um, it, it feels like the staff has been operating under the assumption that it's his final year. So he, he can always change course and decide to come back. But then other guys that walked, um, DeJon Terry and Jacob Lacey, that would be huge if you can get those guys back along the defensive line. Trace Ford and Key Lawrence, those are two guys that I really don't have a read on, boss. Either way, I, I don't really know what that'll look like. And then you've got other guys like LV Bunkley Shelton, who – in two years, hasn't really had a role. He walked on senior day. Could he maybe be a potential transfer portal guy? Reggie Grimes, who kind of saw his role diminish, that he wasn't dressing toward the back end of the year. Is that someone that maybe might look for some playing time elsewhere? Uh, maybe a, a Shane Witter, the linebacker who was banged up last year. Obviously, this year we just didn't really get to see him that much. Um, could he be a guy? It looks like Oklahoma, if Stutzman comes back, has their four of Stutzman, Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, Jaron Canick. You've got Samuel Masigo, uh, Lewis Carter, Phil Pachotti, who was hurt this year. Like It feels like they've got numbers in the linebacker room. I wonder if he's a guy that maybe um, hits the portal and, and tries to find a spot where maybe he can, he can lock down a starting role. So that's kind of the guys off the top just about senior day. They're obviously going to be trying to get Billy Bowman to come back. But uh, is there anybody else you might be looking at um, outside of those decisions that you think might be candidates for – guys that maybe test the portal waters here in a couple of weeks. I think, uh, yeah, portal is, uh, is one thing. Um, guys graduating and looking into the NFL, going to the senior bowl um, is something else, obviously entirely. My guess would be, and, and I'm just guessing here and I'm, I hate doing this. I really do Ryan, because if you say, I think this guy could portal, the perception is that you're casting aspersions at his character. He's quitting. He's walking away from his teammates. He hates OU. That's not what I'm, that's not where I'm going with this, but I think we're there, just looking I think at there touches some... purely like guys that maybe didn't get touches that it would make yeah. sense that they might want to play football. You know what I mean? Right. They want a, more opportunities to get snaps, um, carry the football, score touchdowns, um, be exposed to NFL scouts. You know, that's, that's a major motivator is if, if I'm not playing, the NFL is never going to notice me. So I need to be somewhere where I'm playing. And so that's, that's where I want to go with this. It's not about, you know, hating OU or being mad at Venables or any of that. This, this is not in any way casting any aspersions just to clear that up. All right. Um, I think Jason Llewellyn kind of made his bed, right. When mid season, he's, you know, putting out emojis about people who are complaining about the quality of Oklahoma's tight ends. Um, it would not surprise me if Javante Barnes hit the portal because he had a really good true freshman season and then uh, was unable to get healthy enough to contribute this year as a, as a frontline uh, running back. So I would think he would be a guy that, especially as full as this uh, this running back room has gotten as quickly as they've gotten full. Gavin Sawchuck became a, a star the last four games. They've got, you know, Taylor coming in, um, the number one running back in the country. They've got another running back who's top five running back in the country. They've got guys coming in next year, not this year, but next year, who are also really hot, really good recruits. Um, so that would not surprise me if Javante Barnes 
ended up leaving. What about Tawi Walker? Um, got a little sideways with his coach reportedly more than once. Uh, ended up going through a little bit of an injury situation as well. Um, I don't know about Marcus Major. Is he to the point where he's done with football? You know what I mean? Or is he looking to to have that one breakout year somewhere other than Oklahoma still? Because he's got that one year of eligibility left, I believe. Yeah, it's interesting just because Marcus Major's guy, when we talked to him like in the fall, like right leading up to the season, it was kind of like Braden Willis talked last year, like a telegraphing of like, this is my last ride. This is my last, like, I, I think that this is going to be it. One of those things. That's what Braden Willis did, sorry, two years ago. Yeah. And then Braden Willis decided to come back a year ago, changed course on that. With Marcus, though, so many injuries, I just don't know. But like, you look at the entire running back room. Everyone except for maybe Gavin Sachuk, who finished the year as the top guy. Like, would you blame Tommy Walker or Javante Barnes or shoot, even a Caleb Hicks or uh Dalen Smothers? Look around. Sawchuck was clearly the number one guy at the end of this year. You've got Taylor Tatum, like you mentioned, the top running back in the country coming in. You got Xavier Robinson, who's just an absolute boulder of a man coming in. He could be your bruiser. They've got Andy Bass, who could play running back if they want him to. That like they technically are signing three running backs along with they signed two a year ago, then obviously Barnes and Sawchuck. Like outside of Gavin Sawchuck, if any of those guys looked up and just maybe decided, I think I might be able to get more carries elsewhere, I would not be stunned really of, of any of those guys. And then I haven't, this is again, all the whatever, with, this is not me hearing, oh, everyone in the running back room is pissed. Or, like, no, it's just like, just look at the math of there's only so many carries, all that stuff. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned if any of the running backs outside of Sawchuck decide to, to hit the portal or, or make a move. Yeah. Um, the other running back I was thinking of was Xavier Robinson. So in addition to Taylor Tatum, they've got Xavier Robinson coming in, local kid who all, all he does is average nine, nine and a half yards <laughs> of carry in high school, you know, in class 5A. So um, I don't know. I'm looking at some of these names. I'm, I'm just going, scrolling over some of the names. Um, I think you mentioned Bunkley Shelton and J.J. Hester, those guys with eligibility left. Maybe, you know, Hester's from Oklahoma, so maybe he wants to stick around. I don't know. Um, we're going to have to keep an eye on social media the next few weeks. Uh, the portal officially opens after, what, the Monday after the championship game? Sunday after the championship game? Yeah, games. Monday, December 4th is when the portal officially opens. Now, if you're a graduate transfer, I think you can enter at any time. Yeah. If your coach leaves, you can enter any. So that's what you're seeing across the country, stuff like that. But for mm-hmm. everybody else, and and two, guys can announce that they're hitting the portal and they won't officially pop up in the portal until December right. 4th if they're an underclassman. But all that yep. stuff. So uh, that they're getting portal, the edits ready right now. Yeah, portal season will be get going hot and heavy, as you've seen across the country. Uh, the stockpile of quarter. I mean, just today, DJ at uh, Oregon State popped in the portal. He said that he's weighing portal or NFL draft. Will Howard in the Big Twelve ranks is already in the portal. We've already seen Riley Leonard enter the portal, and then like two seconds yep. later, I was like, and he is entering the portal to go to Notre Dame. He yeah. was on a Zoom call. I think him and Lincoln go to the same school of Zoom as far as, like, I just need a couple of minutes on a call to get wooed. Clearly, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So it, it'll get going. It, it's just one of those things, too, that with so much staff stability, outside of just speculating on guys that maybe haven't gotten the playing time at this point in their career they're looking for, there's always personal stuff that pops up, too, of, hey, maybe I just want to get close to home, stuff like like Other than that, I, I 
a lot of the portal entries, if they happen that way, would be kind of unexpected uh, just outside of the the guys I think we've run through, other than maybe like Kevin Gilliam. Is that the only other name that like he's a guy that maybe they're signing a big defensive line class and you've seen mm-hmm. uh, other people kind of take steps forward and he just hasn't got on the field? Uh, other than that, if you're just going off the playing time method, which is what we're going with, um, feels like a lot of those guys seem engaged. Uh, yeah. Um, let's talk about what Oklahoma needs in the portal. And I believe Randall wrote a story a couple days ago that, uh, or might've been yesterday. Um, see what I'm saying, talking about the week being compressed. It all runs Thank together. you <laughs> for playing on the, we have Thanksgiving and then you have, you're playing on Friday and everything's been ruined ever since. <laughs> um, yeah, Randall had a story about uh, here, here's uh, what they need in the portal and here are some guys to keep an eye on. Okay, so here are some guys in the portal who, or who have announced that they're going to enter the portal to keep an eye on for Oklahoma. So check that out, allsooners.com. If you can't find it right off on the front page or so, just click on the football tab or click up on the left-hand corner, click down, it'll be a football thing pops up, click on football and you can scroll through all of our football content. Uh, it's very simple. Uh, but Randall had a story on who to keep an eye on. We're not going to do that right now. More, more or less, we're going to say who they need, what positions they need, like really bad, like nine one one. You're losing Ryan. We're, we're assuming that Tyler Guyton's going to go to the NFL. His deal finished weird. What last three games, he wasn't the starter, but he's going to be a first round draft pick. Is that what people are projecting? That's one thing. Yeah. It's uh, I Rain- mean, Sorry, go ahead. Well, he has the concussion, and then Sexton closes out those last two games, but everyone has their own guy that they believe is like the mock draft person. For me, it's Dane Brugler at The Athletic. I think he does a great job. Brugler's mock draft that he came out with yesterday um, had Tyler Guyton projected to go 21st overall to Indianapolis in the first round. So Hmm. you're not winning that battle. of a. There's not enough NIL money in the kitty for a, a tackle to come back and turn down NFL money. I think you're about to say, I think the expectation is Andrew Rame's going to test the pro waters as well on top of yep. Rouse and Metallier not being able to come back because they don't have any eligibility left. Right. So you're replacing four starters, basically. Basically, um, you've already replaced one of them, but you're replacing four starters on the offensive line. Uh, is the depth such <clears throat> right now? And I can look at the uh, the, the two deep right here. Um, Troy Everett is your backup center, right, for Rame. Uh, at the guard spot, you've got, you said Caleb Schaefer's leaving, right? Yeah. So he can't come back. Uh, Savion Bird is your third-year sophomore. Is he a portal guy for having lost his job? Is he one of those dudes? we got we got to ask that question because it might come up this offseason. Uh, and then at tackle, you've got uh, Sexton. Aaron Parks hit the portal last year, came back. Well, he hit the portal before it opened. He declared bankruptcy Michael Scott style. He's like, I am in the portal. Yes. The window's not Oops. open. I am back in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Jake Taylor is uh, was your backup left tackle for most of the year. So is depth right now enough that you feel good with those backups stepping up into a starting role? Or is the uh, offensive line suddenly the number one position that you have to find somebody in the transfer portal? Uh, it's not the number one position. I'll give you my number one position at the end because – there's a position that they've got to fix. We'll get to that. Uh, but okay. it's really, really, really high on the list. Um, I think that whether it's Troy Everett or Joshua Bates, I think you feel pretty good about one of those guys emerging, being the center, 
Everett was the center at Appalachian State. I think his size is way more uh, conducive to him playing center in the SEC than guard. I would not feel comfortable throwing out him out there at guard in the SEC. I think we saw that in the OU Texas game. Um, but I think you got center sorted. So I think you need a tackle. And I think you need a guard. Um, with Sa- If Savion stays, the light bulb, you've been waiting for the light bulb to come on. You saw the difference it made when they just set on Caden Green. Um, at left guard. And so I, th- I think that you'd really like a portal guard and I think you'd really like a portal tackle. And then from there, I think that they've recruited really well to feel comfortable about your Logan Hallens of the world, your Heath Ozadas of the world, your Jake Taylors of the world. If they come in and win a job out of the spring and into the fall, then you have depth via the portal. Great. If you go and get a guard and go and get a tackle and those guys are your number one name on the two deep because they've emerged to be able to be your depth, I think that's great too, but I still think they're to a point because remember they're still recovering from Lincoln's philosophy is to just sign a couple of guys that they're the elite guys go to the port. It's not like they've been signing five man O line classes for the last five years and had that track of development. If you miss on one guy, you not only don't have a starter, you don't have a backup at that spot. So I, I still think they're kind of paying for some of those sins of trying to make that your strategy instead of just signing five guys every year. Mm, interesting. Um, I do think Josh Bates is the long-term answer at center. I think he's a future superstar. Um, he's on the, to me, he's on the Creed Hevel, Creed Humphrey level of mentality and possibly ability. Um, probably not walking in there day one as a redshirt freshman and making the all big 12 team like Creed did, but you see what I'm saying? He's got an incredible upside and he's, he's meaner than Creed. Um, if he doesn't get ejected every game for, for like slugging guys, cause he's got that streak in him. I'm not knocking him here. I, I love that. No, Brett Venable um, said I, it in the fall, right? He's like, I have to remind him. Yes. Don't murder your teammates. And it's like, he's like, yes. you'd rather pull the reins back than have to like get it out of some, but like Brett has said, like he is in every fight in camp. Basically every fight we have is basically he's in the middle of it one way or the other. Uh, I was that guy at the bottom of piles in high school football like Sam Mays, like if, if I'm laying on the, if you're laying on top of me or I'm laying on top of you and there's people on top of us and we're hidden, you're going to get something from me. I think that Sam just rolled oh. over being compared to i uh, <laughs> I'll have to call Sam in a little bit and be like, Hey, so who basically said that you guys are the same person thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, pretty much. We, we talked about that a lot on our show, on our radio show when we had the radio show here in Tulsa. Uh, when things got nasty at the bottom of the pile, it was usually me in high school. And he said it was usually him in high school and college. So we're, yeah, very much the same player. I, um, I And I'm the soccer team enforcer. Everyone hates everyone like <laughs> Ryan shut up. And I'm just like, I will, I will stamp on that guy's ankle if he's going to continue to play like this. <laughs> like, so we understand those guys are, that's never a negative when we say that Josh Bates is one of those, he's actually one of us or we're one of them. I don't know. And it happened in practice for me too, from time to time. <laughs> I would exact, if somebody jumped me on the depth chart, I would exact revenge in practice. (laughs) And under who? That's, yes, enforcer, bad attitude, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, So let's talk about the defense. We talked about the offense. I've got one other spot on the offense. Oh, oh, you still got, oh, well, so do I. It's obvious, tight end. I've got two other spots on the offense. (laughs) Uh Think Devon Mitchell is going to be awesome. Remember, that's going to be a high school senior in real person years, not dog that's years, true. being your number one guy in the SEC. I think he's physically built like a guy that's prepared for that. 
I think mentally he's there. He's a superstar waiting to happen. That's still a, a, a guy that should technically be a high school senior as your main guy. So tight end. Does you need a backup quarterback? Do you want to be in a spot where you have Michael Hopkins and Brandon Zerberg, two true freshmen, battling out to back Jackson Arnold up? I don't know what the I don't know how you sell that to somebody. Hey, we would like you to come in and only be the backup quarterback. Maybe you call Gary Bohannon, who hit the portal again. Remember him? Uh, but I, is that something if Davis Bevel or General Booty decide to move on? Yeah. You, no, that's a good point. I didn't think about that, Ryan. Backup quarterback. You need. A backup quarterback. Everybody needs a backup quarterback. Um, for 2024, you're going to have two true freshmen coming in and doing it. You're going to have a walk-on in General Booty, and you're going to have Davis Bevel, I guess, if if he doesn't leave. Mm, yeah. Um, they went portal before for the backup quarterback. It didn't really produce much results. But that's the thing is you're going to have to sell to somebody. You're going to have to recruit. Hey, buddy, we need a backup quarterback. You're not going to be the starter because Jackson Arnold is the face of the program and the future of the program, as he's been labeled several times by the coaching staff. Um, so that's a tough one. How do you get a quarterback to say, "Yeah, I'll go. I'll be, go be Jackson Arnold's backup"? It's a it's a tough. I I think you're looking for like if Lincoln were still here, you could play that maybe someone that knows and self aware. They probably don't have an NFL future, but want to get into coaching, you can jump start that. Um, I think Latrell could eventually be that type of guy as far as if he decides to stay all the minds he's worked under. I just think that you're not, you're a year, a few years away from that being a thing. If you find that stability. So I, I don't know. Um, I was looking through portal names earlier this morning uh, with Eddie on radio and like, but Hannon's the guy that I kept coming back to is like, Hey man, you understand what it's like in a power five. You went to USF. It did not go well. You hit the portal again. Do you want to go down another level or do you just want to come in, live the Oklahoma life and know that, you know, we need you to prepare just in case, you know what I mean? One of those things. And maybe you can have your big moment. And uh, if you come in and, and you play hero in the second half of an SEC game, maybe it puts you on the map again, even if you're not a starter. I, I don't know. It's a tough sell. Yeah, it is. It's a tough sell. So um, that's, that's a good point that you make that uh, they need a backup quarterback. Uh, tight end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need whether everyone stays Caden Helms. We don't know what he is. Cause he's been hurt. Right. Um, Stogner's going to go. I wouldn't feel comfortable with Devon Mitchell and just Blake Smith. If that's what it ends up being. Um, I wouldn't feel super comfortable. Like just I, bring another body in. And if Caden Helms is healthy, then you feel great. If Caden Helms is not healthy, get like injuries are just weird. It's hard to predict. I, I'd want at least a body. Yeah. Uh, the priority on defense, I think we saw a couple of times this year where they needed more depth at cornerback or they needed better players as the backup cornerbacks for when something happens to the starters. So certainly that's a position where you need one guy to come in and say, um, I can compete for the starting job, I can be the starter, or at least I'm going to get some snaps, you know, nickel corner or something like that. I, I think that's a priority position, Ryan. And I'll let you uh, let you expound on that as well. Yeah, especially I, I'm not expecting Woody Washington to come back again. He's a guy that's talked yeah. all year as if he's not come out right. and said this is my last year, but just the general. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that um, if the guys continue to develop, then you feel great about Kenai Walker, Makari Vickers, Josiah Wagner and Gentry Williams battling out for the other spot because all those guys know that you're older. It's obviously Gentry's job if he's healthy, but – 
He just wasn't able to stay healthy. So you want some insurance for that. As we talked about earlier, if you get, say, Harrington gets his waiver and then your your cheetah spot is Harrington, McCullough, Samuel Omosigo, maybe you can slide Dolby back over and suddenly you feel really good about having mm-hmm. two experienced options in a portal corner plus Dolby on one side, a Kanai Walker plus Gentry Williams, they can stay healthy, plus the young guys pushing. I think that's good balance. I just would be very uncomfortable if you don't go and get a portal corner to have that other name in hand, if that makes sense. Yeah. um, They're fine at safety and they're fine at linebacker. If Bowman and Stutzman come back. Agree. If those guys don't come back, then all of a sudden you're starting to think, okay, maybe we need a portal safety. Maybe we need a portal linebacker. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally there with you. And I actually think too, this may be controversial with Ethan Downs and then an R. Mason Thomas who's not battling an ankle injury all year long, and then a P.J. Adebore who's had another year offseason under Schmidt, spring, uh, fall, and especially if Trace Ford decided he wants to come back. Um, it sounds like Trace Ford, um, he doesn't come on with us, but he he does a weekly radio hit. And, and I know, talking with Eddie, that one of the things Trace Ford's talked about on that is seeing the jump that Stutzman made from year one to year two. And is that something that resonates with a guy like Trace Ford that he too is going to have a really big medical file. And so I think for him, another year of being healthy, another year where he can say under Brent Venables and a year in the SEC, like I think he needs those things to outweigh the medical file when you talk about just uh, NFL potential. Um, and it seems like he really loves being around just the state of Oklahoma. So if, if, if trace comes back between trace downs, R Mason, Thomas, PJ, and then you start throwing in some of the, the freshmen that you're bringing, I think that they might be okay at defensive end, but I think they might need another body, at least at defensive tackle. And that's even if DJ Terry and, and Lacey come back. Yeah. Those two guys are priority guys, uh, in terms of getting them to come back, um, Neither one is going to be an NFL like hotshot, right? Like probably invited to the combine or a star at the combine or blow anybody away at pro day or anything like that. So getting those guys to come back, selling them on, you know, developing another year under Brent Venables, DeJon Terry and Jacob Lacey, I'm talking about, Uh, because you're losing, let's just go across the line. Um, You're losing Rondell Bothroyd. You're losing Isaiah Coe. Um, Ford would be certainly a boost for you if you're able to do that at the defensive end spot, but you're losing Jordan Kelly, who, by the way, was arguably OU's most efficient or highest graded defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman this year, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, I think he posted three times this year. He was the highest graded defender on the whole team, so crazy. Uh, Jonah Laulu, gone. Uh, Phil Paya, we hardly knew ye. I was rooting for him, by the way. Talked to him at that February media day, and I'm like, this guy, or no, it was uh, August media day. We need Philip more in the media room more often because he was a great interview. So I was rooting for him. Um, who else? You mentioned Stripling's probably leaving. I think that's pretty much yeah, it. Yeah, Stripling, uh, Stripling doesn't have any eligibility left. So that's a oh, – uh, yeah. he for sure is out the door just due to uh, graduation. Yep. So suddenly, um, what can you get defensive line wise in the transfer portal? Can you get 
depth guys, obviously. Um, the, is this a situation where do the wrong guys leave? If you're Oklahoma, Terry and Lacey and, and um, Trace Ford don't come back or whatever, all of a sudden you need some frontline starters out of the transfer portal. That That's not – I think Dion and I think um, Lincoln showed us this year for the most part not saying you can't do it, not saying it's impossible, but I think for the most part, I don't think that's sustainable over the course of a 12, 13 week season, getting a bunch of guys out of the portal at one position and saying, we need you. And then by the end of the year, it just washes out. Yeah. And I just, I think that with offensive line and defensive line, it's just like a total crapshoot. You know what I mean? As far as those two positions, so many of those guys, I'm almost like, okay, if you're not just going straight to the league, then why are why are you portaling? Are you actually going to be a difference maker? But I, I just think that it's another situation of give Brent Venables and this defensive staff one more year to develop those guys that they're signing, stack another defensive line class, and then suddenly you're not as worried about that. But I, I think for this year, you might just want to be like, hey, you need another Lacey or a Terry just to get the big-bodied guys who are veterans who can hold up to uh, what what you need out of the uh, the SEC grind. Any other portal things you want to get to? Yeah, there's one. One. Oklahoma has to tamper for a kicker. <laughs> They've got to figure it they don't out. Have to tamper anymore? They just it's it's all open season now. It's totally well, illegal. No, go to the NCA list. Look on the top fifty. Find oh, you're your saying guy. go get one. <laughs> I'm I'm saying that you need to go down the list and start looking through and going, who can you do the push push, uh, wink wink, nudge nudge? Man, if you went to Oklahoma, you'd be a pretty lucrative kicker in IL deal. Something. I don't care what it takes. Brent Venables is not going to do that. That's not the game that he plays. I get that, but guess what? We're not associated with OU, so I can say the thing that needs to be said. You got to go find a kicker. I don't, and, and you can't just find a kicker. You got to find a kicker. You know what I mean? Like, it can't just be a bring another body in. We know that Zach Schmidt is great in practice. So we've been told all that. So I don't care. I don't, don't watch them kick in practice. Just pull up the stats. They need to have been hitting over 80% of their field goals and they need to show the ability they can hit a 40 yarder if they need to. Sight unseen. Go find a kicker for the love of God. Yeah. Somebody who can step out there in not ideal conditions, uh, regardless of which way the wind's blowing, make a 40-yarder to either take the lead or extend the lead to a two-score game. A high, what'd you call it, a a high leverage? Yeah, the high leverage situations, the the clutch kicks. Yes. It's college, so those guys are hard to find. I was watching some NFL games last weekend, and I'm like, oh, my God, these NFL kickers are so good because – they're so bad in college. It's stark how you jump from college kickers to NFL kickers. It's shocking, the difference. Um, when you're talking about important kicks, you know, and you're talking about being able to block out all the pressure, all the noise, college kids really have a hard time doing that, I think. Um, we saw some missed kicks in college again last week, and you're like, how do you miss a 20-yard field goal? I'm not even sure how that's possible when that's all you do. I mean, you and me couldn't do it. Well, you played soccer. Maybe you could. I could not. But My legs sucked. When that's all you do, and that's your role, that's what you were recruited for, that's what you've done your whole life, 
And then he comes out there with three minutes left in the game. And if you kick this, you're up by 11 and you miss a 20 yard field goal. How? That's how. Um, so that's tough for uh, college kids. Let's talk some all big 12. The all big 12 team come out today and the Oklahoma Sooners were well represented. Oh, real quick. Really. I found him. I found him. I found the guy. Found which guy? Pick up the phone to Utah State. Call a man named Elliot Nimrod. He's a junior from Bentonville. <laughs> Is so that his can, real name? Yes. So you can at least pretend that he's from Bentonville, so he's been familiar with Oklahoma. If he misses kicks, Nimrod's great. We can easily turn that into the punching bag. He was 11 for 13 this year, including two of three from 40 to 49. He uh, was six of seven from 30 to 39, 84.6% overall on the year. He was perfect at extra points. Again, he's a junior at Utah State. Go, go tamper. I'll pick it. I'll call. I'll make the call. His mom's sister's aunt's second cousin has um, conjunctivitis, and you need to be closer to family. Utah State. He uh, he really fell in love with Matt Wells' program, and he's so inspired. Even though he didn't ever play a game under Matt Wells, right? He wanted it so bad, and he's an analyst. Boom. That's how. It, boom. Just want to be closer to home. Um, okay, so all Big Twelve. Uh, I would say before, certainly before the Kansas loss, and pretty much as well before the Oklahoma State loss. Oklahoma had the offensive player of the year and the defensive player of the year, and there was no argument from anybody. Fair enough? Is that fair? Yeah. Then OU loses those two games. Danny Stutzman gets hurt. Um, Dylan Gabriel had four turnovers in a two-game stretch. Four? Yeah, I think that's right. Four four turnovers in a two-game stretch. They'd lost those two games, and all of a sudden your offensive player of the year is a running back from Stillwater. Who's really good? I'm not knocking Ollie. Your defensive player of the year is a defensive tackle from Texas, Tavondre Sweat, who was a, a house wrecking machine against the Sooners, but didn't have big numbers, didn't have a huge impactful plays, but he was in the backfield on every play. Um, he had a good year. I thought Ollie had a good year, but when you talk about defensive player of the year, I thought for sure it was going to be Stutzman before he got hurt. And I thought for sure offensive player of the year was going to be um, D- Dylan Gabriel. And I thought he still had a pretty good shot at it. But, I mean, guy, Dylan Gabriel was unanimous quarterback, unanimous first team all Big 12 quarterback, and was not named player of the year because Ollie Gordon had a hell of a year. Yeah, what, you, I, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's just a tough beat for Gabriel. I think that if Ollie Gordon hadn't supermaned his way into the end zone against BYU, that Dylan Gabriel would have been your offensive player of the year, frankly. Yeah. like it, I, so Five touchdowns that day. Yeah, if if, uh, if Oklahoma had made the Big 12 championship, I think it would have been. But Ollie Gordon, I mean, he is Oklahoma State football. Oklahoma State's defense is garbage per the numbers. They've had great moments, sure. It's not a good defense. Alan Bowman is Alan Bowman. He's been efficient with the football, but he wasn't efficient with the football in Orlando, Ollie couldn't really get going. Look at what happened. He wasn't efficient with the football early against Houston or BYU. They went back to Ollie. Ollie is the reason Oklahoma State came back. So I no quarrel with that. And Oklahoma's defense is going to finish 80th in total defense. Danny Stutzman is awesome. All-American candidate. 
all the stuff. We talked to him. This is no knock against Danny Stutzman. You can't be a defensive player of the year when you didn't make the Big 12 championship and your defense is 80th in total defense. And I think a big yep. part of why they're that is because he missed six quarters and he clearly yep. was not 100% healthy against West Virginia or BYU or TCU. I think that that all plays into it. Like none of these things are isolated, but I don't think you have an argument when you're not playing in Arlington. Texas defense is legit good. They're a top five run defense too. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's why Texas is going to roll in, in Arlington on Saturday. I just don't think that you have a ton of argument to the table when you're, again, you finish right now, they're 80th in total defense and you're not playing for a big 12 championship. Yeah. So uh, let's finish the big 12 team. Uh, Billy Bowman was first team. That was, a, that was an easy one. That was obvious. Six interceptions leads the big 12. Three, three pick sixes. Uh, Drake Stoops leads the league in catches and touchdowns. Drake Stoops, first team all Big 12. That was pretty awesome. Uh, good for him. Um, Sooners had a couple of uh, second team guys, Ethan Downs and Andrew Rame. I'm a little surprised about Rame. Uh, a little surprised about Ethan Downs, too. Um, they didn't have – neither one of them had, like, huge performance-type numbers. But um, – what was I going to say about Dylan? Oh, I know. I was going to say Stutzman and uh, and Bowman. Stutzman wasn't a Butkus Award semifinalist, which is kind of stupid. I get the finalist because he tailed off at the end of the season, but not being a semifinalist was really short-sighted by the Butkus voters. Um, he had better numbers, better raw numbers than all those guys. And then I get – I because I'm super close to the voting process and I understand how these things work, um, I, I'm on the All-American Selection Committee, and when Billy Bowman had his second pick six, we had already voted on the All-American team. It's not my dealing. I, I don't condone that. I'm, I sit on the committee, and they say, here are our deadlines. We're going to meet, we're going to vote, and we're going to pick the All-American team. So the All-American team on defense was picked with three games left in the regular season, and I've said in the past, why do we do this? I don't, I don't feel good about doing this. I want to see these last three games plus a championship game. So it's a little bit wonky. And frankly, some of these semifinalists and, and finalist lists for the, for the uh, you know, position awards, national awards, those are the same thing. Those are decided way too early. I don't see what the purpose of deciding way too early is. There's no, it serves no purpose. All you do is leave a, a really good player like Billy Bowman who had two pick sixes and a hundred some yards and won the game against BYU uh, in the in the last two weeks of the season? So there's no reason to to do that. Yet that's the process by which this thing works. That's why he was left off the Thorpe Award. That's why he's not a first team All American by the football writers. It's stupid. It's unnecessary. But that is the process by which it works. It's just as simple as that. So. I would like, I, I actually told, I told you, in fact, I'm going to change my vote tomorrow um, after the BYU game. And then, and then what does he do? He does it again against, against TCU in the season finale with the pick six. I'm like, six interceptions, three pick sixes. This guy needs to be on the All-America team, but he's not going to be. And that's stupid and sad. It also, we have a content valley like between the conference championship games and bowl season starting and i get that yep. like it's portal season all that stuff uh i don't understand what the rush is but um right. 
you're having to organize people from all across the country. It is what it is. Everyone deals with the same process. But to your point, you don't want to cut into their holidays and that kind of thing. Yeah, this is how this kind of stuff happens. And so um, this is also why it's not correct. But like being a name that's talked about, like Danny Stutzman being on the preseason Buttkiss Award graphic, not just on the list, but being one of the guys that's featured actually matters a great deal because just as much as I watch as much college football as I can, if we are handed a 2.30 kickoff, I'm having to do a lot of my college football watching in condensed game copies on Sunday. Like I spend a ton oh. of Sunday. And then with radio, I also have to keep one eye on the NFL because I can't just walk in and be like, well, I didn't watch any NFL games on Sunday. And people are like, why do you have a job? This is stupid. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a, it's an imperfect thing. Why we have That's why you have so many voters from across the country hoping that everyone's seen everything and can really stand on a table. And I just don't think that – Right, wrong, or otherwise, Oklahoma's defensive perception has not lent itself to people wanting to be like, hey, that Oklahoma safety, yeah, but he's an Oklahoma safety. You know what I mean? Like, I think you're still no, that's right. years away. And so I think that, like, if Stutzman and Bowman come back, magically, they're going to not just be on the preseason watch list, but they're going to be like the guys being featured on the preseason watch list. And whether that's right or wrong, that means a great deal to carrying in voters' minds at the end of the year, especially if you're not voting on a 12 game sample. No, you're 100% right, and and that's one of my points is that uh, the perception of Oklahoma's defense, it's been bad. It's been so bad for so long that when you have a great player like Kenneth Murray or you have a great player like Danny Stutzman or Billy Bowman, well, I'm not giving my vote to somebody who plays for Oklahoma's defense. You know what I mean? That's what people think. That's what these voters think. Oklahoma stinks on defense. How good can he be, really be? I'm going to vote for this Iowa guy who's on the field for 40 snaps a game, right? Because as a defense, they're really good, but their offense is so bad as well. Uh, and the, there's just this perception that uh, Oklahoma kids can't play football, can't play defense, I should say, can't play defense. And I think those two things don't have to exist in the same vacuum, right? You you can be a great player. You can be a first-round talent. You can be a Butkus Award winner and still play for Oklahoma as a, with the 80th-ranked defense. Something else somebody replied to me, one of the voters uh, replied to me was, um, you know, I think it was, uh, shoot, who was the, uh, there was a, there was a former player, Caleb Kelly, who um, replied that Billy Bowman should be on the, the uh, All-American list or the, the Thorpe Award watch list or the finalists, whatever. And I, he said six interceptions, three pick sixes, all this stuff. And I said, you can't argue with this. And one of the voters replied to me on Twitter and said, maybe it's because he's the 117th ranked safety in pro football focus, you know, season grades, or maybe it's because Oklahoma's defense is ranked such and such. And I'm, I'm just like, you we're okay. Are we, is this the pro football focus all America team? Right, that is handing out these grades that is saying these are the 11th highest graded players in the country? Or is this the All-America team where dudes go out on the field and perform and get interceptions and run them back for touchdowns? Interceptions and touchdowns are greater than, I use the little greater than symbol, greater than pro football focus grades. I saw Billy Bowman return three touchdowns for interceptions. Dude's an All-American. He should be an All-American. He should be a Thorpe Award finalist. His raw numbers over the course of 12 games are better than just about everybody else's in terms of interceptions, 
big plays, touchdowns. Who's been better than Billy Bowman? Who's been better than Billy Bowman? That's my question. I don't mean to be this person, but if you're citing PFF grades immediately, you need to be booted off of every committee. Like, (laughs) go through and look at what the process for PFF is. The process for PFF is literally teleconference training anyone off their couch. You don't have to have been a football mind. If you can fill out an application and make it through the training process, you start grading games. We use PFF for more than anything, snap counts, because that is not published by college football. It's not the NFL where the NFL keeps the snap counts and publishes them. Um, Sorry. I just, I frankly, I look at the PFF grades and I just, I just don't do much with it because like, especially outside of quarterbacks where their quarterback gurus go through and really grade that crap. Yep. It's not a perfect thing. It, it, nope. Again, if sorry, I don't mean to be that person, but if you're just blindly citing PFF grades, you should probably be shot into the sun as far as the award <laughs> season goes. <laughs> it's a little extreme, but okay, uh, I'll allow. Only it. your vote should be shot into the. You okay. should print off your vote on a piece of paper and fire it into the sun. How about that? Ryan's been choosing violence a lot lately. <laughs> I, well, I I don't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> it's a it's a sleep thing. You can tell. <laughs> um, college football playoff rankings. OU is twelve, as Ryan has said on this fine podcast before. They need to get to eleven. Probably not going to happen when you look at who's ahead of them, what games they have to play. Uh, They need to get to 11 because the 12th team that goes into the playoff uh, slash New Year's Six selection pool is the group of five champion, the the highest rated group of five team, to which I asked you the question, well, wait, 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 what if no group of five team is ranked? Because that could happen this year. Uh, But they they would slide SMU into number 25 and stick SMU if they beat Tulane. But uh, run it down for me. Why OU's not going into the uh, New Year's Six, in your opinion? Yeah. So again, they still could. I'm not. I'm not could. saying it's not happening. They yeah. still could, but it's long shot. Basically, what you're looking at: New Year's Six, six bowl games, twelve slots. Right. For those slots, we know our playoff spots. That's not what Oklahoma's pushing for right now. Okay. The fifth one will be that group of five, which will either be right now. You've got. Tulane kicking at 22, Liberty at 24. If both those teams lose, that means SMU is one. I would just bet everything that SMU would slide in there. So there's mm-hmm. your fifth spot. So then I, I, let's just go through it. Just go down the rankings. Uh, let's just say Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State. Congratulations. You all win. You're the four undefeated teams. Mazel tov. So Oregon is going to be the sixth team. Ohio State, the seventh team. Texas, the eighth team. Teams that are idle, Missouri, Penn State, Ole Miss, 9, 10, 11, and then Alabama. I'm sorry, Alabama, who their two losses would be to number seven, Texas, and number one, Georgia. I just don't think that they're going to slide them past beyond uh, Oklahoma. Like Oklahoma has been pretty consistently, the first rankings came out after the Kansas game. Oklahoma was put at the bottom of the Power Five, one loss teams after that. Oklahoma then lost to Oklahoma State. They've been at the bottom of the two lost power five teams as well. Missouri, Penn State, Ole Miss, they're all off this weekend, as is Oklahoma. I agree with everyone that Oklahoma has the best win of all of those teams. That's number seven, Texas. The committee agrees with that, right? Because they've put Texas at number seven. 
here's the thing. These teams are clearly being ranked off of quality of losses, not quality mm-hmm. of wins. That's the only, re- that's the only reason Oklahoma is behind Penn state. That's the only reason Oklahoma has definitively been behind Missouri and Ole Miss the whole way is because the losses are worse in the eyes of the committee. I, I yep. just don't see where that goes. If you look at the chaos scenarios, Alabama beats Georgia. Georgia's not fallen all the way past Oklahoma. Uh, Michigan, even if they lose to Iowa, I don't believe with any bone in my body that Michigan's going to fall all the way down. The committee has Iowa at 16, so they're saying they respect Iowa. Um, Washington or Oregon, if they flip-flop, Oregon's going to the playoff. Washington's coming down. Because of the ACC contract, if Louisville beats Florida State, even if Florida State falls all the way out, Louisville has to go to the Orange Bowl. That That's yeah. one of the, buy, the tie-ins that has to go. If Texas loses to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State has to go into a New Year's Six game because the Big 12 doesn't have the sugar. So mm-hmm. even then, there's a Big 12 team represented, and I don't think that Texas is going to fall below Oklahoma anyway. Um, I think that in that scenario, both teams would go to the New Year's Six. So just looking at, like, Oklahoma would have to probably jump two of Missouri, Penn State, and Ole Miss, and I just don't see with what the committee has shown us, whether you agree with it or not, just looking in the real world, it doesn't look like the oh, that suddenly the committee is going to say, well, Texas is now the number six team in the country, and Oklahoma beat them. So Oklahoma's resume is now suddenly better than Ole Miss. And Pitt. I just don't see that happening. So what you're looking at is Oklahoma and Arizona probably playing in what would be a top 15 matchup in the Alamo Bowl. It may not be the sexiest thing. I know I've felt out a couple of Oklahoma fans playing Arizona does nothing for them in, in what would be, I guess, the Mike Stoops Bowl. I don't the Seth Luttrell Bowl. Uh, but it would be probably the highest ranked non-New Year's Six Bowl game, a spot that Oklahoma was in last year. The Cheez-It Bowl was the marquee non-New Year's Six Bowl game, or one of them. Uh, the Alamo Bowl would be. So whether you get an opt-out city, whether you get where like a Jack Snob would be preparing, whether you get Dylan Gabriel's final send off, stuff like that. I think it'd be a really good game, uh, but just looking through it, pilfering through it. That, that's why when you look around bowl projections, most people feel most confident about the Alamo bowl because the Alamo bowl has a say in it, the cotton bowl or stuff like that. That is just what the committee is going to give them. Um, and, and I just don't see Oklahoma getting up to 11 or even maybe 10 uh, based off where they sit now. Something that tickled me about the uh, press conference, the conference call CFP rankings on Tuesday night was uh, if, hypothetically speaking, guys, Texas and Alabama finished tied, uh, how do you parse that out? How do you, and they started talking, here's the quote between hypothetical Texas 12 and 1, Alabama 12 and 1. You might remember back in week two, Texas went to Alabama and beat them by 10 points. But if they finished with the same record, the College Football Playoff Committee ranks them this way. Those tiebreaker criteria are not prioritized, so it'll be up to the judgment of each committee member which of the tiebreakers are more important to him or her. There's just no established priority for the tiebreakers. What if- so the fact that they played a game and one team won and one team lost is now considered a tiebreaker, first of all. And you get to measure that tiebreaker with how good you think Alabama has played in SEC play versus how bad Texas has played in Big 12 play. That's how the committee is approaching this thing. And I'm just like, why is that a tiebreaker? That's, that's if, that's, if that's a tiebreaker, that's like the determining factor. That's not a damn tiebreaker. That's like the only thing that matters is they beat them head to head. Well, that's the, 
again, I've been like, okay, so if you're evaluating a one-loss team that lost to a two-loss team, I'm way more receptive to, okay, tell me what the two losses Agreed. are. Yep. The, the Reds, they, things are not the same. You know what I mean? Upsets happen. I I think, this is probably unpopular, that, I guess with our audience, Oklahoma's better than the two teams that they lost to. But they lost two games, so you lose the right to scrap around. If one team has one loss and the other team has one loss, and one of those teams went into the other team's home field and won the game comfortably, what are we doing? Yeah, what's what's the point? What's the point of you get into the the Nick Saban argument from a year ago of well, Alabama would be favored on a neutral side. I'm just like, okay, so we should just let Vegas pick the. We should not play games. You should recruit. You should go through spring football, and then the Vegas line that happens because there are never upsets or anything like that. That should be your win loss. We we and then and then you don't keep yeah. score. Have the two teams play on Saturday. Nobody keeps score, and whoever was favored gets the win. And let's move on. I told you guys we don't know how long this podcast is going to go. Uh, we're still going because we still got things to talk about. Bowl games, Ryan. Is there? Are we down to basically one bowl game at this point? If they don't make this the New Year Six, which if they do make the New Year Six, it's it's cotton, it's possibly peach, or fingers crossed, please God, one more time, the Fiesta Bowl. Or if they don't. It's basically the Alamo Bowl, which they went to two years ago and played a Pac-12 team, and nothing apparently was real settled because the Oklahoma had an interim coach and nobody knew what the future looked like. Well, now the future's here, and they're back in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, it, it would. Uh, if we're going to Phoenix, by the way, we're scouting out Final Four spots. That's that's also <laughs> what's happening apparently. Yeah, I mean, I, the only other scenario, and I just don't think it's realistic. But there is one other option where Oklahoma State just absolutely demolishes Texas and Texas falls out of the New Year's Six. Then the Alamo Bowl has the choice and they could pick Texas and then that would ship Oklahoma back straight to Orlando for the newly christened Pop-Tart Bowl. That is like yep. the only other thing. Like if, if Oklahoma jumps into the New Year's Six – or falls all the way out. But I think Texas' performance against Texas Tech, uh, I, I just don't see them falling because they'll have beaten Alabama. And so they they have that. Um, I, I don't see them falling all the way out. I think that you would have to have, like, you would have to have Texas get blown out, and then Louisville's got to also beat Florida State. And then we start getting into the same thing that we have with the Big 12 tiebreakers of, like, how many unlikely on paper scenarios, like, just because this thing happens doesn't mean that this thing's going to happen. How many dogs do you need to win? That kind of thing <laughs> uh, before it happens. Underdogs, that is. Or just straight up dogs, I guess. Air Bud, shout out. So I, it feels like I, if I were projecting, I'd be like 80% Alamo Bowl, 15% New Year's Six hijinks, 5% Cheez-It Bowl or Pop yeah. Purple, whatever it is now. It, it, it just feels like it's everything's pointing toward us going to San Antonio. I think you're uh, 100% right on that uh, breakdown on that percentage projections. I think 80-15 and a slight chance of slight chance of uh, pop tarts is uh, is is realistic, very realistic. Um, you're not done yet. We have to talk about basketball because the basketball team is ranked. The basketball team is six and zero. First time they've been ranked under Porter Moser, but none of that, Ryan, is as cool as playing a real game in the center of campus in McCaslin Fieldhouse. 
Yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, by the time you listen to this, probably that game will have already got rolling all that against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, Pine Bluff, I, Porter Moser's a great coach about he respects the hell out of his opponents. He talked to us about they run up tempo, shoot threes, all the stuff. Pine Bluff's in the bottom 10 and Ken Palm. This should be a, OU's favorite by like 29. Do it that way you will. But it's McCaslin. There's going to be a bunch of students in there. I think they're going to get awesome. close to 4,000. Uh, we got to get to peek around a little bit yesterday. If you're watching this thing on ESPN Plus, it's going to be really interesting. All the lines, because they don't have a hardwood floor that had plans for basketball, are kind of taped down. And so when you look at it, it feels like Allen Fieldhouse level of there is no room on the sidelines. There, There is going to be maybe some weirdness with inbound plays. Porter Moser joked about accidentally having to take a charge from a referee because the sidelines are tight, but the students are going to be right on top of it. And so this this would have been a game, frankly, here in a couple weeks, Oklahoma's going to host Green Bay. I'm not super excited for it. That game sandwiched between the Arkansas game in the BOK Center and the trip out to the Jumpman to play, take on North Carolina. It's kind of like, a uh, is anyone really excited for this? But you're going to get a bunch of student groups in there. It's a unique field. It's their first regular season game in McCaslin Fieldhouse since they played AM Corpus Christi in December of 2012. That's the last time they played a regular season game in McCaslin. It should be a ton of fun. And it's a group that I think is deserving of the student interest. So take away had the flying tip in uh, against uh-huh. USC that got Oklahoma back to the rankings. But you're getting the different pieces off the bench. When Uzon has a game, maybe that's not as prolific scoring wise jb mccollum's popping uh off you've got latre darthur and rivaldo suarez who are just experienced guys coming off the bench i'm excited to see what the rest of this non-conference slate holds because you've got providence up on tuesday the weekend trip to tulsa which i think i'm gonna have to make that trip i didn't make that trip last year but if they're playing like this we'll both be in tulsa probably mm-hmm. um then like i said green bay and then the the jump man against a, a top 20 north carolina team i think they're top 20 still haven't looked at north carolina's portion of it uh, to kind of close out that non-conference before they dive into the meat grinder that is Big 12 play. Um, the two two of certainly, uh, maybe you can rank them one, two, two, one, one A. Coolest humans in history. All right, you with me? Yeah. Played at McCaslin Fieldhouse. Jimi Hendrix and Will Chamberlain. Hard, Will Chamberlain, hard unequivocally, is the greatest scorer in human history. Yeah, it, it's hard to beat that. We just need to know if The Rock wrestled a territory at uh, McCaslin Fieldhouse, and you will have like hit the trifecta. <laughs> I got to, when I was at the Tulsa World, and I was covering Oral Roberts. Um, you know, they got the Maybe Center, right? Yeah. 11,000 seats in the Maybe Center. Before they played there, they played in this little gymnasium on campus, and I got a, a self-guided tour one time of this little gymnasium. I was writing about Richard Fuquay who scored 60 points or whatever it was, 61 points in a game one time. Um, I think Anthony Roberts scored 65 in a, in an NIT game. This, the maybe center is known as the house that Fuquay built because of Richard Fuquay and his unbelievable scoring prolific. He was, he was one of the best to ever do it in college basketball. So I let myself in this gymnasium and I took a self-guided tour and I looked behind the scenes and I looked at all the, where, where he played, which was this tiny little gym. And it just reminded me of McCaslin, which is, uh, as we know at Oklahoma, the house that uh, Alvin Adams built is the Lloyd Noble center because he was, they were so good. And he was filling up the the arena. He was getting a, a double, double every night. He was getting like a 30, 20 double, double every night at OU. 
Um, and so many people came out, they said, we need a bigger arena. And they built Lloyd Noble Center because of him and his teams. McCaslin has been a kind of a ghost town ever since with just wrestling and volleyball. So, and gymnastics. Yeah. Should be a ton of fun. Porter said they're going to have some of the old alums, hopefully out as well that, that played at McCaslin. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. It should be it's a nice, really unique, just if nothing else, it's a great change of pace. We asked Porter if this is something he'd like to do every year, and he joked, he's like, well, let's see if we can shoot threes inside the building first. If <laughs> if going, if going, changing up the debt perception doesn't screw it up, uh, I think it's something that Porter would like to maybe do. Like, they could do a student-only game every year with one of the, the Pine Bluffs of the world, and and I think in, in years in the future, they'd have maybe a, a court that the lines are a little bit different. Because, again, it, it feels like this was something that uh, Porter could kind of push for, and uh and and they're going to try it out and see what this feels like for uh, for a regular season game. You're lucky you get to cover a real game in there. That's cool, man. I'm I'm excited. I'm stoked. That thing's going to be popping. I just have to get to campus early to park. So I might actually yeah. shower, leave from here, and leave at like three thirty just to make sure I find a parking spot. It's a good it's a good idea. Ryan, thanks. Excellent stuff as always. Uh, almost two hours of uh, of. Wonderful podcasting by you. Good job, man. We're into hour six of the radio today. I think I'm going to, I actually might have to take a nap. That might be. It's a good idea. (laughs) All right. Enjoy the game tonight, man. Thanks. We'll see ya. This segment of the All Sooners podcast was presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Go to infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn how you can get really debt-free and begin real retirement planning right now. Don't wait to do this because, you know, these guys, whether it's retirement private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, living trusts. Just give Corey and his team a call. Let them take a look at your portfolio and get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. Just call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or head over to their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com. Coming up next, Randall. Sweet. He's going to jump in. We're going to hit the Jeff Levy angle, the Seth Luttrell angle on recruiting. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. All right, that was a long one. A final segment of the All Sooners podcast has been reached. You're not going to want to miss this. This is the important stuff. This is the recruiting. This is how the future, this is how kids feel about the new um, coordinator, the new play caller, the new quarterbacks coach. So don't go anywhere. I will say this. If you like the All Sooners podcast, drop us a nice rating on the All Sooners podcast. Please give us uh, five stars if you like us a lot. If you have to go four stars, fine, but we prefer five. You know that. Uh, Like us and share us on social media. It's very helpful to get the word out and help this podcast grow. Uh, And if you're watching on YouTube, of course, like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Segment three is all about recruiting this time, mostly about recruiting. Randall, what do you think about the basketball team? Just kidding. Uh, this, uh, <laughs> this is about recruiting and how the Sooners are coping with a staff change and not just at the top of the offense where Jeff Levy has taken the job at Mississippi state, the head coaching job and been replaced by Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley got a promotion, but, uh, they're losing some staffers, some support staffers that Jeff Levy's going to take with him to Starkville. So let's start at the top, Randall. Let's start with um, the quarterback situation. Oklahoma has three quarterbacks committed, three over the next two recruiting classes, including two this year. They also have a guy who, a five-star, who finished just finished his freshman season. 
How do you feel like Jackson Arnold? Let's start at the top. Let's start with Jackson Arnold. How do you feel like Jackson Arnold is taking to the news that he's got a new quarterbacks coach and the guy that he signed on with at Oklahoma to play for and learn from is now going to uh, another school in the SEC? Well, it seems like, uh, you know, of course, we know Jackson Arnold had a great relationship with Jeff Levy. We know that that was, you know, obviously a big factor in him coming to Oklahoma. But uh, fortunately for the Sooners, uh, it's not like he traveled, you know, miles and miles from home. Denton is just down the road from Norman, uh, just quick drive down 35. And from, uh, you know, what the OU Daily reported and from some other things we're hearing, it seems like Jackson Arnold is uh, is pretty happy with, with uh, the, the choice that's been made to elevate Latrell and Joe John Finley. Apparently he's uh, developed a pretty good relationship with Seth Latrell during the time that he's been there. And I know that I've seen some people online uh, talk about, uh, you know, the concern that um, – Latrell hasn't isn't a quarterback by nature. He doesn't have a quarterback background. Well, Seth Latrell has coached quarterbacks before, and uh, whenever he was coaching quarterbacks, some of those guys, uh, as you wrote about, put up some pretty big numbers. So I think that um, you know it, it's an easy selling point uh, when you look at it like that. It's not a guy who's literally never done it before. Uh, you know, he's he put he's coached some offense, coached some quarterbacks who have put up big statistics, who've gotten drafted, who've gone and played in the NFL, uh, and so I think that. Uh, from again, everything we're, we're hearing, it seems like Jackson Arnold is is on board with Seth Luttrell and with uh, the new the new offense. And, and again, I think that it's probably been pointed out before, but the continuity of not having to you know learn a bunch of new coaches, learn a whole new scheme, you know, flip the entire roster uh, on its head because you know you're you're building a new scheme where the players you have don't fit. That'll that'll be really helpful to Arnold and to OU in general too. Uh, keeping that that similar scheme, similar. Um, you know, language, as people say, um, and, and not not really uh, flipping the entire uh, game plan on him after one yeah. year. New staff, no, uh, no new staff. The staff remains intact. You got a guy who right. slides up from analyst into play caller um, coordinator. He's going to work closely with Joe John Finley, coordinating the offense, putting the game plans together, teaching the quarterbacks, teaching the quarterbacks what they like and what they don't like uh, about certain defenses, right. defensive looks. Here's how to adjust. Here's how to change, which we've already seen from from Jackson at BYU. Um, you know, he's he's versed well. He's versed enough in this offense that he can make changes himself, uh, which he did. Audibled out of a play and, and got him into the right play against BYU, clinched the game. Um, Jackson Arnold on Twitter after OU football put out the OU is thrilled to announce the following changes to our coaching staff. Uh, Seth Luttrell, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and Joe John Finley, co-offensive coordinator, tight ends coach. Jackson Arnold quote tweeted that and had the double exclamation points. Two double exclamation points. So sounds like he likes it. You know, I guess that could be interpreted by a, a negative Nelly. As, uh, oh, he's complaining. No, he's not complaining. It sounds like he likes it. What about from a recruiting perspective? Because, um, you know, Michael Hawkins uh, is a guy and Brendan Zerbrug is a guy, I guess. Zerbrug's been committed elsewhere already once, but Hawkins is a guy that really struck up a relationship with Jeff Levy. Came to Oklahoma, decided to come to Oklahoma. Now, you know, he's a legacy player. His dad played here and all that stuff, played for Bob Stoops. Uh, again, right down the road in the DFW. So it's not like he's, you know, they're having to, to beat the recruiting bushes or go way far away to find their guy. Michael Hawkins is a guy that seems like he's all Oklahoma all the way, right? But his he he really liked Jeff Levy. 
Yeah, uh, you know, from from what we've seen on social media from Michael Hawkins, is certainly the indication is that he's solid to OU, that 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 you know he still wants to be with the Sooners, and uh, I think it was Mason Young of uh, the Tulsa World uh, got got actually got to talk to him, and um, from from what he said in that story, it sounds like again he's locked in with OU, but that of course he and Levy had conversations. Now, uh, I think some people interpreted that as Levy tried to pull him away from OU. I think that Hawkins' dad kind of stepped in on social media and said that that's not necessarily how it happened, that um, you know they just had mature conversations about uh, the situation. But um, you know, at the end of that, it does seem like Hawkins is still solid to OU. It seems like he still wants to be in Norman. Now, um, it maybe, maybe makes you wonder if things don't work out in one year or two years, if he doesn't like where things are going, if he's more quick to hit the portal then because the guy who originally recruited him isn't in Norman. But again... I think that um, a lot of these guys are going to be happy with the with the decision of elevating Seth Latrell, a guy who, again, quarterbacks, his offenses have had success before when he's calling the plays, when he's at the helm. So I think that a lot of these guys are, are pretty happy with it. It sounds like uh, Brendan Zerbrug is pretty solid with his OU commitment, too, which is going to be huge for, for Brent Venables because, again, you know that he didn't want to bring in just one guy, didn't want just one backup scholarship quarterback after what we saw um, – in 2022. Um, so I guess the real question will be in the 2025 class where you've got Kevin Sperry obviously committed. Um, Trinae Washington, his teammates told us, told me that he's solid to OU. Marcus James, you saw him put something out on Twitter indicating that he was pretty solid to OU. Uh, you know, haven't seen anything from Kevin Sperry yet. Again, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that one way or another he is or is yeah. not happy with the decision. He could be elated and love Seth Luttrell and, you know, um, be dancing around it joyfully because of this decision, but we don't know. Uh, hasn't come from him yet. We haven't seen it on social media. We haven't heard from him. So uh, I think that's going to be the one to really watch, to really see how does Kevin Sperry feel about this. Again, he's someone that I know from talking to him, from talking to his family. They loved Jeff yep. Levy. They had developed a great relationship with Jeff Levy. And I mean, they moved all the way from Dallas to Oklahoma City to be closer to the Sooners, to be closer to Jeff Levy, to get that more personalized one-on-one time with Levy, uh, you know, to be around him more, to talk ball like we've talked about. And so uh, I definitely think that that, um, that'll play a factor. I I don't think that's um, nothing because again, they do have this really close relationship and Kevin Sperry is, you know, he's still over a year away from being in college. It's not like some of these 2024 kids where he was planning on being here in a few months. Right. Um, So he's, he would have more time to step back and make that decision. But uh, I think that, uh, again, nothing is certain on that, and yet nothing's really known. I think we need to wait and see where he stands, but I think um, that's most likely the last domino that we'll see from this. We already saw Dozy Ezukama decommit. Um, that might have been coming regardless of whether Levy was um, re- staying around or not. I think the Sooners need a lot of room for some um, transfer guys. Yeah, we'll get to all that. Um, we'll get to all that. I want to. I want to. I want to stick with Hawkins for just a second. I'm gonna back up three steps. I want to stick with Hawkins. On, on Sunday, that. he tweeted um, after Jeff Levy's announcement that he was going to Mississippi State. Hawkins said, uh, "Lock emoji hashtag Boomer Sooner" with a photo of him in an OU uniform doing one of these. Uh, after the Sooner Scoop report came out Tuesday evening, uh, he re- quote tweeted that and said, "Let's go." Okay, and then after OU put out their tweet that, um, you know, they're promoting uh, Seth Luttrell and, and, and uh, Joe John Finley. Michael Hawkins retweeted that. 
So all indications, all indications are that Hawkins is on board with, with Littrell as his new quarterback's coach. But the Sperry thing gets me because he's been kind of radio silent. He's been, there's, yep. there's a lot of angles we could go from this, but Sperry not coming out and professing. He, he's a young guy, like you said, junior in high school. He's got his whole future in front of him. He's got the whole recruiting process really still kind of in front of him. Is he thinking that, you know, he's going to be a Mississippi State's quarterback? Because he, it's like you said, and he told me this himself, and his dad told me this, I believe. Um, being in Oklahoma City, being in, Del, uh, in Midwest City allows them to drive right down Sooner Road and go to the facility every day if they want to and watch film, yeah. talk ball, attend practice. And it was, and, and they still can do all that, right? But they were doing it with Jeff Levy because of that relationship that Levy formed with uh, Kevin Sperry and his family, his mom and dad, and his little brother. So um, mm-hmm. that's something that, I mean, listen, if you lose a 2025 quarterback in 2023, it's not the end of the world. You can, you can still... Uh, there's still a lot of fish in the sea, so to speak, but that's something that I I would think that Brent Venables is having to kind of pivot on a little bit and say, hold on, hold on. We need to go back and, and revisit this, our relationship as a coaching staff with Kevin Sperry and his family. Yeah, I'm sure that, that that's something that they've been working on because I know that Kevin Sperry is not a guy that they're going to want to lose, a very talented player, four-star quarterback. And one thing that, that really does um, – make it more interesting to me is that he's the perfect play style for a Jeff Levy offense. I mean, if you watch, watch his high school tape, watch him play uh, in seven on seven before he, he got to um, call Albert high school. I mean, the way he plays is, is really like exactly what you'd want from a Jeff Levy offense. And, and I mean, really it, the play style is similar to that of a guy like Dylan Gabriel, where he's pretty mobile. He can get around and, and move with his legs when he wants to. Uh, he's got, he's got a good release, uh, you know, I think that um, that that all adds to yeah. it, but um, I, I still think that um, again, he moved to Oklahoma, so it, it would be um, a, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to see him now flip from Oklahoma to uh, Mississippi whenever he they they came here. But again, nothing's off the table, and and I mean, the Sperry family when they came to Oklahoma had to know that at some point there was a good chance that Jeff Lebby was going to be. Um, getting a head coaching job. I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong, and maybe that's not something that was thought about. But I, I have to imagine that you know a young budding coach who's been rising through the ranks pretty quickly of college football. Um, you have to know that that guy, or you have to expect that that guy's going to get a job. I mean, Kevin Sperry's Kevin Sperry Senior, Kevin Sperry's dad. He played college football, so I'm sure that they know how this stuff works. Um, and again, I, I don't mean that as anything to them. I just mean that you know, to OU fans, this is probably something that they knew could be a possibility. Right. And, and uh, again, so it might might not affect the decision as much as we think, but uh, it still remains to be seen because we haven't heard officially from him. I uh, haven't seen any indication from, from him or the family. But um, I'll be out at the state championship game on Saturday. Hopefully I'll get the chance to talk to him and uh, catch up and see what he thinks then. A little bit of breaking news here on the All Sooners podcast. Again, you guys are getting the recording of this later in the day after all this news is broken, so you'll see it all over Twitter and you'll see it all over allsooners.com for sure. But, uh, yeah, Jason Llewellyn tweeted eight minutes ago, thank you for everything, Sooner Nation. I will be entering the transfer portal with three years of eligibility remaining. Hashtag Boomer Sooner. 
So as Ryan and I talked about in the previous segment, this tells you a little bit about how the new cycle works. We talked about who could possibly enter the transfer portal. And I said, well, sounds like uh, Jason Llewellyn's bed has been made. He's going to lie in it and he's lying in it right now. He's transferring. So that's just kind of the way these things work. Uh, any thoughts about Jason Llewellyn? Well, uh, in the story I wrote earlier this week about potential transfer portal targets, tight end was yeah. one of those targets that I, I wrote about a position that I thought the OU would, would try to go after. Uh, now, Llewellyn entering the portal only makes me feel more firmly in that, that there's definitely going to be some guys that OU goes after in the portal. Um, obviously, a guy that didn't see the field much this year after uh, you know getting to OU from Alito, um, you know, big, big time. I think he was a high three, four-star recruit out of Alito, Texas, but... It doesn't really seem like the play style matched up for what OU wanted uh, this season. And it seems like maybe there is some uh, tips between him and some of the coaching staff. Yeah. But uh, uh, again, in a room that didn't produce at all this year and he still couldn't get on the field, maybe that tells you where where OU's at with him. Yeah, and he needed to be able to stay healthy, and he was not quite able to do that as yeah. well. If he had stayed healthy, he would have gotten snaps this year, I think, and he probably yeah. would be coming back. But, uh, you know, things just things don't work out for everybody. Not every recruit you sign is uh, is going to stay all four years or five years or six years in some cases. So, uh, yeah, good. Uh, good luck to him. We wish um, we wish Jason Llewellyn well as he transitions to another school. He'll find a place because I think he's a good player um, and he's been trained by some good coaches. So we'll see. Um, any other thoughts on how what recruits are thinking um, about the transition, you know, you lose your offensive coordinator. There's been some guys that on the defense that are defensive recruits who have sounded off, but any other thoughts on uh, some offensive guys and what they think about their new offensive coordinator, the, the promotion for Joe John Finley and the, um, the, the promotion for, from again, analyst to offensive coordinator by, uh, by Seth Luttrell. Any other thoughts on what those guys are thinking? Yeah, I think that the one that, that everyone was kind of thinking about first is Devon Mitchell, um, a guy that obviously developed a really, really good relationship with Joe John Finley. That's kind of been his biggest recruiting win since getting to Oklahoma was helping win the Devon Mitchell recruitment. I mean, this is a guy, again, four star or five-star recruit in the 2025 class, reclassifies to 2024, still listed as a four-star recruit, um, and probably going to be an early enrollee coming in in January, I would imagine. Uh, and he seems very happy with uh, the promotion of Joe John Finley and Seth Luttrell, specifically Finley, of course, being uh, that's his position coaching a guy that he'd really developed a relationship with. But I think um, part of the worry uh, with Levy going to take a job, a head coaching job at Mississippi State, was would Joe John Finley go be his offensive coordinator? We heard rumblings um, prior to him leaving that, that it was a possibility. Uh, and again, that, that raised questions, whereas if Joe John Finley goes to Mississippi State, then uh, you know, does Devon Mitchell maybe think about opening his recruitment back up to an Alabama or a Miami or some of those schools that he kind of flirted with before committing to Oklahoma? And I think, I think keeping Joe John Finley in house really locks locks um, Devon Mitchell in. He said he said uh, he he sent out a few tweets himself that made it seem pretty positive, like he is pretty uh, into the hiring. I know I talked to um, a tight end in the 2025 class, Chase Lofton from Nebraska who said that uh, personally he really liked Levy and that he was going to miss Levy uh, and that he would have to see who the new offensive coordinator is before um, seeing, you know, kind of how Levy's departure affects. I still need to check back in with Chase, but I would imagine that uh, them hiring or promoting the uh, tight ends coach to offensive coordinator probably is helpful there too. So I think that 
Um, in that department, you'll you'll probably see the Sooners continue to uh, recruit well at the tight end, uh, the H back, or more. I mean, they don't really run an H back anymore. Remember the tight end position, uh, Trinae Washington, who's kind of a, a tight end wide receiver mold in the 2025 class. Uh, he told us that le- he told me that Jeff Levy leaving doesn't affect his decision. He's still locked in with OU. Elijah Thomas, a wide receiver in the 2025 class, told me the same thing. He said that yeah, he has no intentions of flipping. He's he's locked in with Oklahoma. Um, and I think that a lot of these guys, uh, really, while the coordinator might be leaving, their position coach uh, is – OU is not having any position coaches leave the, the room, at least not yet. And so I think that's what's really uh, kept helped keep the recruiting intact. You, you talked about it in your story. Uh, Latrell and Finley are – help the continuity so it helps a lot of those recruits stay on you're not again you're not filling a bunch of new um spots in the in those position coaches that are you know going to want to bring their own guys or that are going to you know coaches going elsewhere that are going to want to bring their guys so uh when jeff levy is really the only position coach leaving being the quarterbacks coach and we've already talked about a lot of those quarterbacks seemingly staying solid um sounds like on the recruiting trail um that they're going to be dealing with a lot of the same guys. They, they're not going to be losing a lot of recruits. I, t- I mentioned it earlier, jumped the gun a little bit. They already lost Dozie Azucama uh, in that 2024 class. But again, I think they've got five other wide receivers committed. Um, and so they, they'll probably definitely take a few receivers in the portal as well. I, I, while Dozie Azucama is definitely a talented receiver, it's not the uh, the biggest loss in the class. Uh, it's not like one of those top-end guys uh, like the Zion Kearney's, who's also reaffirmed that he's pretty solid, um, things like that. Yeah, um, I think um, four wide receivers committed: Kelly Daniels, Zion Kearney, uh, Ivan Ivan Carrion, and uh, Zion Reagans. Um, plus, you could qualify, I guess, Devon Mitchell as a tight end. Mitchell's interesting. Ryan pointed out something earlier in his uh, in in one of the earlier segments. Um, Mitchell's interesting because you're going into twenty, you're going into the SEC in twenty twenty four, and he's going to be a uh, basically. Age-wise, age-wise, right, because he reclassified, he's going to be basically a senior in high school playing in the SEC, and he's going to be your top tight end. Could get interesting. Yeah, and, and, and that, again, that's why – that's a position I really think that they're going to hit the portal heavy in that in that department. I mean, while you don't want to recruit over Devon Mitchell too heavily, that's definitely a guy you want to get involved because of how talented he is. You want to keep him happy. And really, again, just he's so good that you want to get him on the field. But – is that the guy that you know you can rely on to do the dirty work in the SEC from snap to snap? That might be a, a place where you get a veteran tight end who can uh, help teach him, help him learn, help him get acclimated to college football, and and maybe you know at the beginning of the year one of those more veteran tight ends takes a lot of those snaps, and then throughout that season as Devon Mitchell kind of develops, kind of learns the game, gets more mature physically, um, he kind of t- starts to take some of those snaps. Uh, but I think that that tight end is going to be one of the positions they go after in the portal, uh, the heaviest we've, again, I've got, I, I uh, wrote a story about a few guys that I think they'll, they'll go after. I can, I can name some of them off if, if, uh, you think that, but I think, I think that, um, you know, Jonathan Odom from Florida, I think Kamari Morales from North Carolina, Tyler Neville from Harvard. I think that those are three guys that, uh, the Sooners are definitely going to, going to try to go after in the portal. Uh, as tight ends, all three of those guys have already entered the portal. Neville is really, really productive at Harvard. Um, I think that he's got one year left. Kamar Morales, North Carolina, one year left. Jonathan Odom from Florida is interesting. He's got two years left of eligibility, so a guy that you could get in and potentially have for a few years. But 
again, like you said, with the, what we saw from Blake Smith this year, uh, obviously I think Cade McIntyre had one or two catches on the entire mm-hmm. season. Uh, Caden mm-hmm. Helms got hurt. So definitely going to need to, uh, to add a lot of production in that tight end room after losing literally all of it with Austin Stogner. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised about Dozy? Uh, the word came out that uh, this is not related to Jeff Levy. It came out the next day. Come on. It's, of course it's related to Jeff Levy. Um, I think it's, I think it's silly to suggest that there was no connection whatsoever. He's the first person in this class to decommit. He's Brent Venable's first 2024 decommit. Um, I think it's absolutely related. I don't think there's any way to deny that. I, I think that you're right. And I think that another good indication of that is from that we're hearing that uh, MSU Mississippi State is going to be one of the uh, the schools heavily involved in his recruitment now. Um, from what I've heard, TCU is also going to be heavily involved, and that was a school that before he committed to OU was heavily involved in his recruitment. But I mean, I saw I saw Dozier as a come and get his offer. It was at the Brent Venables camp over the summer. Talked to Emma Jones. Talked to Jeff Levy. I mean, you could tell that he he's got a good he had a good relationship with those guys. Uh, obviously, Emma Jones is staying around, but again, with four other receivers in the class. Uh, probably again going to get some guys in the transfer portal. You've got some really talented young receivers coming back. Um, room got crowded, and again, it's an easy, easy—I don't want to say excuse, but it's an easy reason to to kind of look around at your other options when you're like when you see that the offensive coordinator who recruited you is no longer there, and um, you, I mean you have you've got potentially the option to follow him and, and go take your talents to Mississippi State where. I don't know what their class looks like, but I would imagine they probably don't have the receiver talent in that class that Oklahoma does, which would give Dozier as a comma kind of more of a runway to get on the field earlier, make more of an impact. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, any other guys in the portal stand out to you as, uh, I mean, you, you know, you, when you wrote the story earlier this week, uh, I think cornerback depth was something that needs to be addressed. Kicker, uh, you've already talked about tight ends, um, wide receiver. I was surprised you included wide receiver on your chart because there's there's a bunch of young guys who are super talented, uh, front line guys and and backups, um, as well as Andrew Anthony coming back. But uh, defensive line and offensive line to me are all priorities. Do you have any other names that you'd like to throw out there, with guys to keep an eye on? Yeah, so so I'll just as they come to me, I'll, I'll kind of go by position. So you mentioned defensive line. I think that Thor Griffith, who is a defensive lineman from Harvard, uh, I think that that's another guy that OU is going to look in, into. I think that they've they've already reached out uh, to Thor Griffith. I think he's about six two, three hundred and twenty pounds, um, all Ivy League defensive tackle. So that's that's definitely a name to watch. Joey Slackman is another Ivy League player from the University of Pennsylvania. That's Big body up front. I would I would expect uh, the Sooners to to show some interest there um, on the defensive line, and then on the offensive line, I think that there's there's really a handful of guys. J.C. Davis from North uh, North from New New Mexico is a guy that I think that uh, Bill Biedenboe, I know you might might identify as someone they like. I think that Jonathan Mendoza, who's a huge huge tackle from Yale, he's about six foot eight. Uh, I think that's definitely a guy that that OU might show some interest in as well. And, and and southern from southern Mississippi, Jerquan Scott is an interior offensive lineman. Uh, obviously, OU is going to be replacing uh, McCade Matoyer, probably replacing Andrew Rame as well. So, um, you know, could probably use another interior offensive lineman to beef up that group next season. Uh, so, I think that Jerquan Scott from Southern Miss is a guy that that the Sooners might target there. Wide receiver, uh, I think that 
Dion Burks from Purdue. He had a really good season this year for the Boilermakers. That's a specific name I think that they they definitely go after. Uh, he's got a good relationship with uh, Reggie Pearson's dad, who's uh, been tweeting at him a bunch. I know that that seems really random, but uh, they've uh, they've been uh, kind of tweeting at each other a bunch. It seems like that they, there's a good chance OU will be uh, in the mix for Dion Burks from Purdue. Uh, maybe Donovan McCauley from Indiana as well. He kind of fits the the mold of a lot of the receivers that they've got on campus right now. He's 6'5", 210 pounds, similar to Jaden Gibson, similar to Yvonne Carrion, a guy in the 2024 class that they're recruiting. So his play style kind of fits the mold. We'll see uh, where he's at there, but it seems like that's another guy that they'll be interested in. And then you mentioned cornerback. I think that um, Jalen Geiger, a guy from, from Kentucky, defensive back from Kentucky, I think is a is someone that OU might be in on. And then also uh, Tegan Wink from East Carolina, I think is a guy that um, that the Sooners uh, could be looking at uh, in the defensive back room. Those are just a few names. Obviously, if you want the full list, check out the uh, the story that I wrote earlier this week. There's tons of guys that I've already got tabs on that I think OU will try to go after. But those are a few of the guys that uh, have either confirmed that they've heard from OU or that I'm sure will hear from OU um, pretty soon. All right, um, you're going to be covering some games this weekend, but not all necessarily the games that we wanted you to cover because um, our friends down at the Frisco Independent School District have a very strict policy about who can attend their games as media, credentialed media, something about if you're a recruiting website or your high school football coverage is based on recruiting, we don't want you here. What? Um, we can reserve our opinions on how smart that is or how stupid that is based on, uh, allowing media with millions of followers, millions, millions per month of followers. And we're probably one of the smaller websites who cover OU recruiting and we get millions. Okay. So, uh, denying your, your students, your student athletes access to promote themselves to millions of young, uh, millions of readers per month is just it's mind-blowing so unfortunately because it's frisco and because he plays at emerson we won't be interviewing (laughs) michael hawkins this week but you've got backup plans tell us about them yes so uh tonight thursday i'll be out at uh in at uco to to cover wagner and blanchard in the state title game uh for a state title game uh obviously that's alexander shield night the uh Sooner's newest, I think I had to double check to make sure he's still the newest commit. Sooner's newest commit, he's a 2025 defensive lineman. Um, last time I went to see him, uh, <laughs> Wagner destroyed Broken Bow 57 to 7. I don't think that this game will be quite that bad, but I would still expect Wagner to come out on top. We'll have an interview with Alex, we'll have uh, highlights, all that good stuff over on allsooners.com later tonight. Uh, tomorrow is actually no OU commits playing tomorrow. Uh, 6A state title game, so Muskogee and Stillwater. Uh, there actually is an, an OSU commit for Stillwater High School, shocker. Um, and then at, that night, we'll be back there for Bixby versus Jinx, and that's Caden Jones in the 2026 class. Now, not committed to OU yet, but a guy who's got the offer from OU. Obviously, he's an OU legacy. His dad, Kiwan Jones, played for OU, uh, had a really good high school career up in the Tulsa area himself. Uh, and so uh, we'll see tonight. We'll see on Friday night, I should say, if uh, Jenks can kind of take down that uh, the monster that is Bixby. It seems like they've been dominant for you know a long time now in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, but but it, it'll be interesting to talk to Caden, see where he's at with Oklahoma, uh, kind of see what position he's he, they're thinking about having him play, and just catch up with 
where he's at in his recruitment. Then on Saturday, that's when it, we get a lot of our real action. We get a Heritage Hall, I think, takes on Lincoln Christian at 1 p.m. on Saturday. We'll be there to cover that, see Andy Bass, get his thoughts on the offensive coordinator change, what he thinks of Seth Luttrell, what he thinks of Joe John Finley, what he thinks of Jeff Levy leaving, his relationship with, with him. We'll hear all about that from another offensive recruit in that 2024 class. And then that night, we get Carl Albert versus Dell City, which is probably going to be the best uh, overall football game out of all the uh, state title games. Uh, Dell City's got a bunch of really talented recruits themselves. They've got uh, Rodney Fields, who's committed to Oklahoma State, his brother, Ladanian Fields, who's committed to TCU. So two really good prospects for Dell City. I know they've got other guys. Those are just the ones that I, I know off the top of my head. Obviously, Carl Albert's got four OU commits. Uh, so it'll be it'll be really interesting to to talk to those guys, see what they think, um, get some more deeper thoughts on the Jeff Levy departure, on the promotion of Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley, and really just to see how they they perform against uh, probably the best team they'll play all season in Dell City. Um, that's I think the game that o- all Oklahoma Preps fans have been waiting for all season is uh, Dell City and Carl Albert. You know they're both both in uh, right next to yep. each other, Midwest City, Dell City. Haven't gotten to see them play all all year, so that'll that'll be really entertaining. And again, all those games, we'll have highlights. We'll have interviews afterwards uh, on allsooners.com. Kevin Sperry, Randall is coming for you. Please be prepared to talk <laughs> after the game. Uh, win or lose. And I think they're going to win. I, I just get the feeling that uh, Carl Albert's uh, unconquerable this year. But we'll see. That's why they play the games. Anyway, Mate. yeah, we're going to have some good interviews from all those games. Um, unfortunately, not Frisco Emerson. What are you going to do? Well, I, I the the if if Frisco Emerson is able to get past Colleyville Heritage this That's week, right. if they make state, if they make state, we'll talk to Michael Hawkins at the state championship. So fingers crossed that there's as many of you guys that get into those games as possible. That's right. Next week UIL takes over. Uh, no more school independent school district credentials. So uh, yeah. Hey, I, to shout out to Lubbock. Shout out to Lubbock Independent School District, my former independent school district. Uh, earlier this year, they they gave me no problem credentialing me to go cover uh, Yvonne Carrion and Odessa High playing Monterey High School. So shout out to them. Yep. All you got to do is Google Yvonne Carrion and uh, Randall Sweet, and you'll see that story because it'll pop right up on your yep. Google. A uh, little bit of more breaking news for you here in the third segment. The uh, SEC Network tweeted a few minutes ago, get this. The 2024 schedule reveal will be December 13th, oh. 7 p.m. Oh, Eastern you... on ESPN and, of course, the SEC Network. So December 13th, I, I thought you meant it was... set your calendars. I thought it was released like right now as we were talking. Yeah, that would be bad. because we would have <laughs> That would have been an emergency podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that, that'll be exciting. I think that, uh, you know, getting those two, two game dates uh, last week, was it? Or earlier uh-huh. this week, maybe, whenever it was that we got those. I think Tennessee, September 21st, OU's first game in the SEC. That'll be fun. And then uh, Alabama, November 23rd, late, late. That'll be one of the, probably one of the final regular season games. Could be even OU's regular season finale. Alabama coming to town, that'll be a fun one. Yeah, and Maine will probably be the week before Alabama because that's when the SEC plays their, uh, their, their uh, annual cupcake scheduled game. So presumably that's when they'll play Maine. Uh, we'll wait for the rest of uh, the SEC schedule uh, to come out, and then we'll know Oklahoma's full schedule. We start making hotel reservations and plane reservations and all that good stuff for next year's coverage. Can't wait. And 
Still got to make hotel and plane reservations for the bowl game this year. So much, so much still. I hope you're ready for San Antonio. (laughs) I am. I am. I'm mentally prepared. Yeah, it's going to be fine. It's a good bowl. It's a solid bowl to cover. Uh, It's a a good uh, um, consolation prize for us media who get to go spend somebody else's money. Although in in our case, it's my money. Uh, we get to go spend uh, a week on uh, a lot of people think it's like vacation. It's a lot of work covering a bowl game, but um, it's also a lot of fun. We make time for fun on these trips. So, Oh yeah. All right, Randall. Good stuff, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, if you guys are still watching us and listening to us after two hours and 20 minutes, this is the longest (laughs) podcast in the history of the all Sooners podcast. My guess is it will remain the longest podcast forever because I don't ever want to do another two and a half hour podcast. So we're going to do some emergency pods and weekly pods and daily pods if we have to, to avoid a two and a half hour podcast. But if you are, wow, thank you. You guys are devoted, dedicated, all that good stuff. We appreciate it. So I want to thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week, of course, on the All Sooners podcast. No post-game podcast because no game. So no more certified fresh from the press box until after the bowl game. Of course, you can find next week's pod and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer And all shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.